Did you say what kind of animal it was that attacked her? So you understand it's some type of animal attack. Statistically, there's been more animal attacks, mysterious deaths, people gone missing. In other news, local authorities remain perplexed by the animal attacks. What attacked her in the woods? An animal. What else could it have been? Welcome to It Was An Animal Attack, your court of the Supernatural drama series. I'm Sandile. And I'm Fadzai. Members of the jury, we have come to our final session of the trial of Damon Salvatore. It's been a long road, a hard road. <laughs> it's been a road that we've lain down in and pretended to be a, a corpse on the highway so that human drivers will stop and check up on us and we can eat them. I don't know. What does Damon do that for? You know, it's a leap. I appreciate that reference. You're working it in. It, I don't know. It's like it's a predator prey dynamic, right? It's like I lay the trap. You fall into the trap. I eat you. But then also like predators don't necessarily trap things. That's like hunting. So I guess it's a hunter thing. Because predators will just chase you. I mean, predator is a broad term. I think they have different ways of doing things. Like a spider that just waits in its web for things to get stuck there is also a predator. Yeah, true. Anyway, enough. I don't know where this is going, but... Uh, <laughs> We're calling Damon a predator, Sandile. Keep I, up. Like, this has been going on since I apologize. season one. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, hopefully we'll be closing out with this last part of the trial. I have been... You know, this trial feels good when I'm doing it. It, it's cathartic it's funny at least in my opinion when we go through everything editing it back is just ugh, everything that i've released from my heart just like re-enters it <laughs> so I'm like i think as much as this has been fun i'm ready to like close this chapter out i i don't know we've done like 14 recordings at this point for this podcast this is the only one that i lost my voice after recording oh geez <laughs> after that second part i truly was just not able to speak that evening because <laughs> my voice was just shot the eviler damon becomes the more draining it is to talk about <laughs> it's sucking out my life <laughs> and i think today i'm gonna try and stay centered i'm gonna try and stay chill i've got my cup of tea but of course, that's because it was like the slightest bit overcast like 20 minutes ago where we are. And as you know, that means you've got to bring out the tea, you got to bring out the soup. So <laughs> not enough time to make soup, but I do have my tea. But just to remind you, we are in fact your kangaroo court prosecution, defense and bailiff myself, prosecution, defense, witnesses and judge Fadzai. And you, dear listener, are on the jury at the end of this session it is your job to deliver a verdict on the crimes accused of tame and salvatore but yeah one correction i think to the evidence currently held by the court the breakup that Catherine Lena and Damon have. I mentioned in the last session that Damon was completely confused by the breakup and I was confused by why Damon was confused. I did rewatch that scene and in defense of Damon, he was confused by one specific detail in the breakup and that was that Catherine Lena mentions that I know what you did to Catherine, referencing the fact that Damon mentally tortured her on her deathbed. Oh. <laughs> so Catherine Lena's <laughs> like, that was cruel and unnecessary, which, you know, fair. And Damon's like, why are we talking about Catherine right now? <laughs> I, I stand with Damon. I also would have been like, the girl who fed your little brother to Silas 
and then tried to kill you at the end of that season just because she was in a bad mood that she didn't get Silas's immortality, which had nothing to do with Elena. Why would you feel sorry for her? But the thing is, again, Catherine doing a pitch-perfect performance, she says, it's not about Catherine, it's about you. I can't worry about who you're going to lash out on when... I'm not like perfectly happy or content with you as a person and as a love interest and as a partner. Like I can't worry that you're going to violently harm somebody because we're having problems in our relationship. So, you know, even though there was Catherine getting in her own jab in, she spins Catherine it well. is a master. I think I think by that point she's got Elena down pat and because she's an expert on Damon, she's able to mm-hmm. be Elena to Damon so flawlessly. I'm, I want to get back to Catherine at the end of this because I have some thoughts. But that is uh, just a correction I wanted to make. Other than that, I think we can pick back up in season six. Not exactly in the middle, but I think we can just start off from when Damon leaves the prison world. Because through the the selfless and dedicated efforts of Bonnie Bennett, the best person in this show, Damon does get shunted out of the prison world through the Ascendance, through the Eclipse. Go back to the Kai episode. You know what happened. Bonnie sacrifices herself and sends Damon off back to reality. And he tumbles out in, I think, the graveyard where they... um, The cemetery, rather, where they left off when Oblivion took them, right? I can't remember. I also... I can't remember. Doesn't matter. He gets dumped into reality. At this point, the only... His big storyline is just him trying to get Elena back because Elena has asked Rick as the enhanced original to compel all the memories of her loving Damon out of her mind because she just couldn't deal with losing Damon. She just could not survive. Which I'll I'll delve into that more that decision in an Elena episode because I have so many thoughts. I have no thoughts on Delena this season. <laughs> and I'm just going to sit back and let you say whatever you want to say because I'm so uninvested. Okay, Delena season six. Yeah, this is probably the biggest hurdle in season six for them. It's first Damon being gone in the spirit world with Elena mourning him in all the unhealthy ways she does. And then, yeah, she gets Rick to take away her memories of him so that she now remembers Damon being a... Uh, I guess she remembers him the way she remembered him at the start of season two. Like, he's a not-so-nice person who is sort of a friend because he was my boyfriend's brother. And everyone else in the group isn't telling her the truth. (laughs) And then when Damon gets out, (laughs) everything comes out. But she still doesn't have her memories back. And he's, like, upset. And he's like, oh, you didn't wait for me. Like, you didn't believe there was a chance I could come back. Like you say, it's not very interesting. But I think the writers... (laughs) The writers... Once again, they needed some sort of an obstacle for Delena because, as I said in the the last portion, once Delena is solidified and Stefan has moved on, there's just not a real hurdle for them. That was their biggest thing. Like, and I think maybe that's because of the love triangle structure of the show. Maybe you could also argue that for Stelena, their biggest hurdle was also Damon. Disagree. For most of Stelena, their biggest hurdle is not Damon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Stefan's got issues and Elena has... Yeah. has stuff she's dealing with so yeah i i retract that but for delena it was very much the thing of oh it's my brother's girl and then 
once he had her, it was, you know, how much is he still into Stefan? Because it was like the season three thing. And then now we're here. It's season six. They've been together. And like I said before, I can see why Nina was like, I want to leave this show. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. <laughs> like, as much as it pains me to admit, I find the stuff Damon does individually this season sure. more interesting than anything Elena does this season. I'm like, what What does Elena do in season six? She's a doctor. She. Oh, wow. She suddenly decides she cares about medicine. She dates... What is his name? Is his name Liam? They don't date. They speak like three times and he finds out about the She goes on a date with him, doesn't she? I, thought, yeah. I think they go on a date. She ends up compelling yeah, so his that counts. Away, so I don't... <laughs> I don't think Liam's that important. He was sweet. He was cute. I'm glad he made it out alive. I... <laughs> I thought he was Latino, so I was like, oh, Elena's going to get a POC man, but I'm not sure. <laughs> don't, I'm not going to speculate. I'll look it up while you keep going. <laughs> but yeah, um, Damon is this season doing a lot of stuff that might be annoying, but is at least more interesting than any of his scenes with Elena. So the verdict of Delena this season is boring, but coming to a conclusion because I think they were probably aware that Nina was leaving and they were like, let's give them one last bump in the road before we say, okay, they are endgame and they are fine and that is where we will leave the relationship at the end of season six. So confirming Marco James, aka Marco James Marquez, the actor that plays Liam, is in fact a first-generation Mexican-American. There we go. Elena... You know what? It's you fine. Go, go, it, go date your Confederate soldier. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, I think everything about the, like, him just, like, chasing after her while she's like, I don't remember our relationship. I don't remember loving you. And him going, please just try. Please just do. It's not even like, because <laughs> instinctually I would be like, why are you just chasing this girl down? It's kind of sad. It's very sad that he's like, <laughs> Lena was the only thing keeping him going through the prison world and the prospect of like getting back to her and being together again. And he gets back and she just does not love him and does not remember loving him. <laughs> again, I don't mean to laugh. It's very sad. But I just, I don't care. But then she does agree to, like, rekindle their relationship and try to start from scratch. Which I'm like, how convenient for someone like Damon and all the things he's done. Because it's it's weird, right? Because Elena does remember the bad things Damon did. It's not like she's completely forgotten him as a person. She remembers him killing Jeremy, I believe. She remembers him abusing Caroline. She remembers him being just generally awful. So then I'm like, so why would you then, once everyone's explained to you that, oh, this is what happened even though you don't remember it, why would you then be like okay i'm gonna give it another go surely now with all of these bad memories and none of the good ones you'd be like well i'm gonna step away because i see this with clear eyes i was in a love spell or something because how could i have dated this guy but i guess she goes she does the opposite route of like oh well i must have seen something in him and all my friends think we deserve to be together that's the thing too like her suddenly didn't go didn't go wow she's finally free of Damon. <laughs> maybe this is for the best caroline know, you know of what? all people is like oh elena you made yourself forget it's so annoying that we have to deal with you not remembering what we all remember and i'm like caroline you hated this relationship from day one you know what you know what to be fair it's like she does have information literally deleted from her memory and for as much as that was her decision she can't make like any sort of genuine choice 
with the return of Damon without having all the information at hand. For as much as that takes her shoving her head through an anti-magic barrier, <laughs> I'm sure if that's what it takes to get the memories back. That leads to a selfless Damon moment. Because he's like, no, Elena, putting your head through this magic bubble undoes the magic of your vampirism and would eventually kill you. I'm not going to risk you dying just so that you can get all of our epic memories back because I love you so much. I... Which, okay, <laughs> cool. You don't want her to die, all right? There's so much happening in season six that the Delena stuff just in general is very boring. <laughs> but so even... Boring. And it takes up so much time. It takes it up does. so much time from an otherwise good season. I'm like, we're learning what the Gemini Coven there's the whole Liz Forbes thing, which obviously we'll get into because that does relate to Damon in a way. <sighs> but the Delena thing is is annoying, not just exasperating, but annoying because it's like, oh, Bonnie sacrificed herself to send Damon back. And even though this is meant to be the season that it's like, oh, Damon and Bonnie's friendship really crystallizing in this perfect form. It's like, yeah. Bonnie didn't send him back because she was like, you're my friend and I love you so much that I'd rather let you go than me. She sent him back because she's like, Elena finds you so important that I wouldn't be a good friend to Elena if I didn't send her boyfriend back to her. And I hate that so much. Yeah, that one's rough. We spoke about that in the Kai episode of like, damn, don't you think, Bonnie, she would be equally as happy to have a best friend return? And the answer is no, because Elena is not particularly torn up about Bonnie being gone forever. <laughs> it really is just about Damon in season six, which yeah. that's a separate issue. Yeah, the, I guess, should we get into the Liz Forbes? We should get into the Liz Forbes. A much more interesting storyline that season. So Elizabeth Forbes, icon, legend, sheriff of Mystic Falls, probably the one good mom in this town. The only blue life that matters. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So Liz Forbes is dying of cancer. There's really no way around it. She has been ill for some time and they are essentially working on making her last days and weeks as comfortable as possible because she's stage four, she's terminal. Caroline in a moment of grief and desperation and a little bit of like reasonable estimation in my opinion. Yeah. Um, uses vampire blood to try and heal the cancer but they then find out that because of the way cancer works there was a weird interaction between the vampire blood and the cancerous cells that like supercharges it because cancer at the end of the day is not a foreign agent it is a part of you and so it dials up joe who's like the doctor this season says we're looking at like a stage 10 essentially of cancer now after colin has turned once that Colin guy has turned and gotten really worse and is basically just walking around because she turns him first. Once they see that the blood has healed him and he's up and about, his appetite is back, they're like, cool, Caroline feeds the blood to her mother and we see later on that Colin has now died. The cancer has come back. I guess the blood healed the damage done to his healthy cells. Meanwhile, the cancer itself wasn't healed and it just, it came back even more powerfully because of the blood and he immediately dies. And then because he's dead with vampire blood in his system, he wakes up in transition, completes the transition, and becomes a vampire who still, still has, cancer, has cancer, but is now immortal, in at least in the conventional ways of dying. It's And rough. by now, it's too late because Liz has the blood in her system, and it's like, well, now we know what's going to happen to her, and we know that even in death, becoming a vampire still won't cure her. Caroline, what have you done? So everyone finds out about this now, and by everyone, I mean Damon and Elaine. <laughs> 
And Damon comes to Caroline and starts telling her what a stupid little bitch she is for giving her mom vampire blood. And you really have to stop and go, whose mother is dying here of cancer? Who's the one who's been organizing all of the stuff preparing for her actual death? And you have the gall to show up and shout at Caroline because she tried to save her mother's life and it didn't go right. I suppose Damon wasn't there when all of this was happening and it's not like he cares about Caroline particularly. (laughs) Right, is the thing. Because it's like, oh, Liz Forbes is my friend and it's like, okay, and... She's her mother. It's almost like the show was worried we had forgotten that Damon and Liz were close. I don't know how many scenes they had together in season five. Because Damon says to Elena, and it's possible that it's like, oh, because Elena's memories of Damon have been altered, this is why he phrases it that way. But he's like, I don't know if you remember, but Liz and I are pretty close. And I just laughed that he was like, I don't know if you remember. I was like, winks at the audience, <laughs> looks at the camera. <laughs> and it doesn't end there, right? Because Delena's a unit now. They're inseparable, even though Elena like barely remembers Damon. Elena must now go to Stefan, because while Damon has been off in the prison world, Elena and Stefan are back to being like besties now. They're in a very good place. There's this fun sequence in season three where they're at this diner because she's like, teach me how to deal because clearly you're doing okay and I've been suffering. And he's like, let me show you my process. And they do this fake proposal at a diner. That's just <laughs> one of the best scenes in the whole season. That was fun, but it hurt me. I was like, don't tease me with echoes of what Stelena could have been. Just, just give me something for the pain and leave me to die. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is where, where two roads diverged in the wood because at this point, I was all in on Steriline. I was like, this works perfectly. Elena comes back to Stefan after the situation they found out with Liz. And if Damon, who's like arguably Liz Forbes's friend, right, is here shouting at her daughter, Elena now comes to Stefan and is like, why did you let Caroline do this? Stefan is like, um, because she thought it would work. I wasn't going to be the one to tell her, yeah, no, don't do this. Don't try and save your mother. Like, I, you didn't see her while she was grieving. And Elena's like, yeah, but you should have known better. And Stefan's like, yeah, you haven't even been here. <laughs> so who do you think you are? Coming here and telling me A, B, and C. Your best friend's mother's dying, and there you are gallivanting you with your maybe sort of boyfriend who you don't remember. What's happening? Who do you all think you'll are? God, they piss me off. Anyway, further cementing that I was just like, y'all can, y'all are great for each other, and I'm so on the way on this side. I'm so far removed from anything Delena is anymore. Yeah. But because of this vampire blood now and the inevitability of Liz turning, Damon comes up with a truly genius plan. I don't even want to say he comes up with it. It's really because of Tyler that this idea crosses his mind. We're in the middle of the Gemini twin merge drama. We've got Joe. We've got her twin Kai, who's now back from the prison world, but is like sedated in a hospital. And then we've got Liv and Luke, who are now expected to merge and take over the Gemini coven. Tyler comes in to remove the like sedation IV in Kai and release him so that he can go do the merge with Joe and Liv will be spared. Damon finds him doing this and stops him, knocks him out, and then just does it anyway. He sends Kai, he doesn't just send Kai out there to do the merge, he's like, let's make a deal, because right now you don't have any magic in your body, it's drained out of you while you're unconscious. You suck out the magic of the vampire blood in my friend Liz Forbes, my bestie, my girl. 
so that she'll just, you know, die off and be fine. And then you can go free, I guess is the exchange. Wild. Kai does this. Liz has a stroke, <laughs> but like, this, she, she survives it. Was it a stroke or a heart attack? I don't know. Something ischemic, something that she's like bouncing in the bed and it looks like she's seizing and she's going to die. Kai's like, not my problem. And then runs off to go find Joe and force her into a merge. Joe is like, the whole plan was that Joe was going to have a month to prepare before they do the merge. And that's why they were keeping him sedated. Nope, she's got to do it now. And so... Papa Parker is trying to force Liv and Luke to merge so that Kai doesn't get the coven. They were petitioning him to like, Joe's gonna practice, they're gonna do it, we're gonna live our lives. And he's like, sure, okay. And then he grabs them both by the hand and he tries to force them to merge. Then I think Tyler comes flying in from off screen and tackles him to the ground. And then Luke's like, okay, well, this isn't working, but I have a plan. And then he tells Liv, do you trust me? And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'll be back. And he disappears and it's the last time she ever sees him. He goes to find Kai trying to force Joe into a merge and is like, um, how about us instead? Go back to the Kai episode. They do the merge. Kai wins. Joe is left holding her little brother's dead body and is like, Damon, this is your fault. And it is, is the thing. And it's like, he didn't intend to have Luke die, but he intended to have Joe die in order for Liz Forbes to be saved. So I don't know what that's about, you know? I, mean, I don't I know think what it's he about. wanted Joe to die. I just Tell me what the thought was... process is there then, because it's either he was throwing Joe under the bus to save Liz, or he didn't care enough to think the two steps ahead. He threw Joe under the bus. I don't think it's that he wanted her to die. He was willing to let her die because Liz... Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's trying to kill Joe. I'm saying he's willing to let Joe die okay. in this plan of his. That's what That's I mean. That's true. That's true. He's Even though Joe is in a committed relationship his, with like, Damon's other best bestie, friend's Alaric. girlfriend. <laughs> yes, his best friend's fiance. Like an episode later. David is like, Alaric, how many lovers have you lost? You'll find another one. <laughs> you seem to Two always dead, find a new girlfriend. One in Alaska. <laughs> Alaric is clearly a catch. Yeah, I mean, he's like a professor. He's a hunter. He drinks whiskey. These are things that women like, right? <laughs> oh, also at some point he compels Rick because Rick is no longer a vampire at this point. He went through the anti-magic barrier and then got resuscitated by Joe. That's how they fall in love. Damon compels Rick because they, they were like, well, we need the Ascendant. And he's like... Joe having the Ascendant is the only thing that keeps us safe from her crazy twin brother coming to, like, merge with her and kill her. And Damon's like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, now I'm going to compel you. Go steal the Ascendant because that has nothing to do with me. So, you know, just adding that to, to the Joe stuff. Is, is that to get Bonnie back? I suppose so, yeah. Because at this point, they've... I think he and Stefan decided to tell everyone that it was just Damon in the prison world because they have no clear way to get Bonnie back and they don't want to re-traumatize everyone. Which was dumb because I'm like, how many loopholes yeah. have y'all found when there was supposedly no other way to do something? When Elena had to die in the sacrifice with Klaus and Damon had force-fed her blood and we were like, well, now she's going to wake up as a vampire. Y'all found a way. <laughs> when Bonnie was a ghost on the other side and you thought there was no way she could come back, you found a way. When the other side was collapsing and you were trying to bring people back through it, you found a way. <laughs> yeah, no, truly. Um, I guess beyond the merge stuff. I don't know. There's not... I mean, he's there when they 
try to get Bonnie back from the prison world and fail. Because Bonnie eventually just has to get herself out. Is the bachelor party... Wait, uh, Lily Salvatore comes back. I was like, I know something happened. Lily Salvatore comes back after Damon and Elena have gone to the prison world. Bonnie comes back from the prison world. She tells them she ran into this woman and shows... Because her her camcorder was still going, shows the recording to Damon. So Damon and Elena go back afterwards. Yes. Bonnie has to get the ascendant from Kai and then they go back to get Lily and then they bring Lily to the real world. I don't know how much we need to talk about Damon and Lily because we did do a Lily episode but you know it's not the best time for Damon. It's a relationship that doesn't evolve mostly because Lily has moved on from the idea of being the Salvatore boy's mother and because She's trying to get back the heretics who are a family and the MFG are like, absolutely not. Please. <laughs> I, I think it's very... Well, we, I, we can briefly ex- explore it. I have a few things to say. That I think Damon, it's, it's very reminiscent of the Catherine of it all. That this person you thought you'd lost shows up and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Let's immediately pick up where we left off in my mind, where we had a good relationship and then they tell you, oh, no, it's not you. It's someone else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very much the Catherine with like, oh, no, Damon, I know you're willing to forgive me for all the lies and the 145 years of waiting. But it's always yeah. Stefan. I don't love you. Sorry, not sorry. And Lily, in the same way, Damon is like, cool, crazy that you are alive. I heard that you were trapped in 1903. You must have been coming back to Mystic Falls to find your sons, who by now you learned were vampires and had therefore survived the whole... Um, it was it was supposed to be a bat- battle of battle of Willow Creek, I think it was, or something like that. Damon was like, "Oh, so in 1900 and something, you must have learned that. Oh no, your sons had actually been turned into vampires and were alive, and you were on your way to come get us. And that's when you got trapped in the other prison world." And Lily's like, "Oh, sweetie, no." <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't coming back to get you guys. Listen, I was a whole new woman. <laughs> I was in my free liberated era. I was not looking to be a mumzo. To be fair, this is enhanced by like cavabrism and everything. And it's like, you know, but yeah, I did that's feel bad for Damon. I was like, I could, I could see how hurt he was by that. I can imagine having lost what was clearly the better one of your two parents. <laughs> and then suddenly suddenly having the chance to have her back must have felt amazing for the three seconds before she told you that I was so over you and your brother by then. I, yeah. I was not coming back for you. And then Damon doesn't even have the chance to do his usual thing because at this point, Stefan's emotions are off because Caroline's emotions are off and Damon needs Lily to get Stefan back. So he's like, well, now I can't just alienate you and move on. I need to mine the ghost of this relationship for all it's worth in order to save my brother, who I do still care about. I can imagine that must have been difficult. And it's a much more interesting emotional arc for Damon this season than all the Delena nonsense. I do also think if we're to draw a parallel between Damon and Catherine, this person who he returned to to try and resume a relationship and was just completely denied. And thereafter, that person then pursues... A relationship with Stefan. Because really, Lily's the only thing that happens in the balance of season six that matters to Damon. Um, We can go into the fact that like in season seven, at some point, Stefan and Lily start to build up a new relationship. In a way where Damon is just not willing to and not able to 
And so there is this sense of, I mean, there's a complex about it, right? That everyone always picks Stefan. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily in a way of like, I think I mentioned in the Lily episode of Stefan having this capacity for forgiveness, this capacity for empathy that allows him to, particularly in Damon's case very often too, so he does benefit from it. He's so much more willing to engage and to rebuild with people who have either done awful things or have treated him badly. It's not something Damon particularly has. In fact, he's second to Klaus is the one who holds the longest grudge. <laughs> so there's a difficulty in that. And facilitated by that, there's this difficulty that like Stefan's always going to be the one who is picked. Stefan's always going to be the one who learns to like find a balance to like have a relationship with the people that he cares about in a way that Damon does not try to yeah. or cannot try yeah. to. And I think I think that distinction is the fact that Stefan tries is really important with the Lily situation because she's she's very emotionally disconnected from both of them, as we've discussed in the Lily episode. But the reason why Stefan starts to reconnect with her is because he's really like, I'm going to try. And Lily's like, okay, I'll try too. Yeah. I'm making it clear that I love the heretics now, but I'm, I'm willing to try. And Damon's like, no. No, no me. we're it's too over. past it. I'm not about to chase you. I'm not about to share you with the heretic. <laughs> <laughs> and Stefan was always the mama's boy, at least according to Damon. Yeah. Like he was the one who was closest to their mother, whereas Damon seemed to be the one more desperate for their father's approval from what we know of his backstory up until this point. He's the one who went and joined the Confederacy to impress his dad. He's the one who was clearly more aware of the kind of person Giuseppe was because he was the one who was like, Stefan, don't be stupid. If you tell our dad that Catherine is a vampire, he will kill her. He won't have mercy because we're in love. <laughs> There's also the aspect of it that like, again, back to a place of Catherine, I suppose, where he, I said in the Lily episode, where he gives that monologue to Stefan about how Lily has consistently chosen against them time and time again. And you're willing to see something that's not there. I'm not a fool like you. I'm not going to make the stupid choice. I'm going to look out for myself the same way she has. And I think that is an interesting and a moving speech that he gives there. Season seven is potentially the most interesting and the most worthwhile Damon is to watch for me particularly so I'm excited for when we get to that because I have a lot to say about season and seven. it's in the absence of Elena yeah so yeah it's oh man so much to say there while we're on the Lily thing the other important thing that happens in season six is obviously the friendship with Bonnie which mm. I guess from a writing point of view they're building it up because they knew Elena was leaving they needed Damon to be there for someone other than just Stefan especially since Liz also unfortunately passes away eventually passes away. once they get Bonnie out of the prison world and she's having a hard time adjusting it's like a person you know leaving actual prison and trying to like acclimate to the world on the outside Bonnie's having like PTSD flashbacks and she's not okay it is sweet that she's gotten to a point where when Damon calls her for his own reasons she's actually quite relieved to hear from him she's happy to have this person on her team and it's not Caroline and Elena who she's defaulting to who you could argue they wouldn't understand because they weren't in there with her she's yeah. made this connection with Damon they really are becoming friends but then yeah <laughs> Damon lists the people who are priorities and decides I need something from my mother and Kai is the person who can get me that thing. And therefore, I'm going to throw you under the bus 
re-traumatize you, upset you when you make it clear you don't want to see this person because I guess is is Stefan still emotionless at that point? Is that why he needed Lily so badly? Yeah, it's to solve the Stefan and Caroline issue because both of them are no humanity and are off the deep end. So we need Lily to come wake Stefan up so that Stefan can then wake Caroline up. It is a necessary thing. However, the way Damon does it, he brings <laughs> Kai to Bonnie. If you've forgotten Kai, <laughs> Kai stabs, shoots, terrorizes Bonnie repeatedly in the months that they're in the prison world. She tells Damon explicitly, do you know what this man did to me? I know you got your delightful exit from the world. I did that for you, remember? So thank me very much. So you weren't there for the rest of it. You weren't there when he continued to hurt me and terrorize me. You weren't there when he found a way to leave and abandoned me there. You weren't there when I was by myself for the rest of the year. She reaches a point of suicidality and then she comes back and Damon says, remember the guy who caused you all that jerry is come in kai and kai walks through the door because kai's now absorbed luke and he's like some forced empathy is pushing through his mind and bonnie starts having ptsd flashbacks just from being in the same room as this man it's just like damon and the thing is damon it's it's because kai kai is like oh if you want my help I want you to contact Bonnie, get me a sit down with her because I want to apologize because I'm having all of these feelings that yeah. I've never felt before. I feel like maybe if I say sorry, I'll feel better. Damon, to his credit, thinks that that's ridiculous, but decides, you know what? If all you want is a chance to say it, I don't think Bonnie's going to forgive you. In fact, I know she won't. But if you say it and that gets us what we want, fine, whatever. Calls Bonnie and tries to broach the subject. He, he brings up Kai. And before he can even get to the point, Bonnie's like, ugh, don't mention Kai to me. I never want to see him again. Like, please, let's talk about something else. I despise this person more than anyone else in the world. And Damon's like, okay, sure, cool. <laughs> talk to you later. And then he shows up with Kai after the bat. Yeah. I guess that was him thinking... Now, because Bonnie has cut me off, I don't have the chance to explain my side of the story because she's made it clear she doesn't want to hear about Call him. Call her again, asshole. You're <laughs> being a coward and you're being a chicken. But the fix is to just shove him in her face before she gets the chance to tell me no. Ah, Damon. I, it's not enough what Bonnie does to him afterwards because Kai leaves because she's like, get the hell out of here. And then she's like, do you want to know what he put me through? And then uses magic to recreate her suffering on Damon's body. Not enough. She tells Kai to leave and then Damon comes and finds her afterwards, m later on in the evening when she's alone in front of the fireplace. And then for the third time that day, this is now the third time. <laughs> it's not all one thing. First he calls her. She says, I don't want to hear about Kai. Then he ambushes her with Kai. Then Damon finds her later on in the evening and says, hey, it's just me. Kai's not here. Listen, Bonnie, I know you're upset and you don't want to talk about Kai, but this is really important. It's about my mom. Kai knows a lot of stuff about my mom. At which point, that's when Bonnie's like, I don't care. I told you I didn't want to see him and you did it anyway. <laughs> Mm, mm, mm. And then she starts to magically inflict similar wounds on Damon, who's a vampire and will be perfectly fine. So even then, so, like he'll be <sighs> fine. She had to heal from those wounds herself. And here's the thing too, because I don't remember if that was just to resolve the Kai thing. Yeah, it must have been because later onwards, once she they've stolen the ascendant from Lily, Damon then comes back to be like, "I need the ascendant because my mom's gonna destroy the cure, the cure that Barney brought back from the prison world." 
world for him to give to Elena. I've complained enough about that choice, but we're, <laughs> so we're not going to revisit it. So Damon comes back to Bonnie and is like, hey, remember how you're like number five on the list of people who are important to me? Uh, give me that Ascendant. Bonnie's like, no, because she's like setting up the magical circle to destroy this Ascendant to make sure Kai's trapped there forever. And Damon chokes her out to try and stop Bonnie from burning it. And Bonnie uses magic to push him back. She reads him for filth about the cure of like, okay, clearly you don't even want to give Elena the cure because you know if she goes back to being a human, then you're done for, buddy. Your relationship's over. She'll wake up and see that like, oh, now I'm a human. That was a real crazy two years. Sorry, <laughs> what I was doing. Which I don't think is true. I don't think that would have happened, but whatever. At this I point. don't think that would have happened. I think, I think maybe it's more that Damon prefers Elena as a vampire. He loves being a vampire. He can be together with her forever. He thinks humanity is overrated. And he wouldn't give that up for her. Yeah. And so it's it's repeatedly this thing of Damon coming to Bonnie in the season when Damon and Bonnie are supposed to be these good friends now and coming back and repeatedly showing Bonnie that she's not all that important to him, actually. There will always be like three or four other people higher up on the totem pole than her in the loved ones in his life. And the thing is that, because I said last session of like, Damon and Bonnie become friends through forced proximity in the prison world. They become friends because they're the only people in that world. And that's not to say that they couldn't have become friends otherwise, but it's important because the moment they leave the prison world, it falls apart. The moment they leave the prison world and there are other more important people to Damon, then Damon and Bonnie as a genuine, like fulfilling connection collapses. So I said I'd hold back my comments about Bayman, but I truly think it goes on so much longer than it should, given how badly Damon treats her as a friend. Throughout the last three seasons, it's crazy to me that to the last minute, they are still friends. I think the writers were probably going because they they were at least aware that given Damon and Bonnie's history and the fact that she's not in love with him like Elena so she doesn't magically forgive everything he does that they could never have the kind of friendship that say Tyler and Matt do where it's like one of you is a bit douchey the other one is sweet but your friendship is very very good like you you do love each other I think they realized that that was never going to really work with them so it had to be this kind of like oh we bicker a lot but we care sort of a thing it just it's a lot more than bickering it, yeah, it's a lot of bickering and it's just... I'm saying it's a lot more than bickering. Oh, it's more more than... <laughs> it's a lot of Damon just completely throwing her under the bus. Because the, the writers don't seem to know how to root once, you know, we've settled the prison world stuff. They don't seem to know how to root Damon and Bonnie's relationship in anything other than Elena. And it's like... <sighs> If that's going to be where it's rooted, it's always going to be on very shaky ground because Damon obviously is in love with Elena and loves her more than you, Bonnie. And Bonnie is best friends with Elena and has been since childhood, so she loves Elena more than Damon. So then when certain things happen like, oh, I got the cure that I know Elena really wants and my mom is over it now, so she doesn't need to not be a vampire, I give it to Damon to give to Elena because we're friends and I know what a sweet gesture it'll be for Damon to give this to the woman he loves but it's like but Elena is your best friend who is more important to you than Damon why would why you would not you just give, give her the her? cure why would you give it to Damon someone who notably is like, I don't want to be a human again. I think humanity is weakness. I think Elena's far better as a vampire. Why is he being given the choice over whether Elena becomes a human again or not? It's strange. 
I don't know, trauma bonding. I suppose she assumed Damon would definitely give it to Elena. It's a dumb assumption then. But I just think it's so strange that she chose to go through Damon. And I'm like, Elena, it's, it's not like you and Elena aren't on a level where you could give this to her. It's not like Elena's <laughs> going to be like, girl, I don't know you like that. Y'all are sharing a room at Whitmore, supposedly. People barely go to college <laughs> in this season. But like, y'all are, other than Elena doing her, her med student dream. But like, they're sharing a room, her, Elena, and Carol. Line. It's like, is that a slumber party? You can real quick be like, so has Damon told you about the cure? No, never once. <laughs> I don't know, man. Because then she criticizes Damon for not giving it to Elena right away. And I'm like, yeah, Bonnie, he's an idiot. But also, why didn't why you haven't give it you to her? Told like, her? You, <laughs> you supposedly know this is something Elena really wants, which <laughs> we'll get into it in the Elena episode. But I'm like, I, I would say Elena was well and truly over humanity at this point. She was fine. Yeah. All of a sudden, when the cure is back on the table, we start having conversations about family and pregnancy because Joe is... Children, biological children, (laughs) biological children who are so important all of a sudden. And I think the reason that the show has to keep bringing up this thing about, oh, biological children is because there's really nothing else with the way vampirism is presented in the Vampire Diaries. There's no other downside. Yeah, there's not really a downside. Like, we live in a world where they can feed on animals, they can feed on blood bags, they have daylight rings. She has had her No Humanity arc and come back from it. Her brother, who was a vampire hunter, is fine with her now. Everybody else in her life who she loves is either in the know or also an ageless vampire, so they're gonna have a long time together. The person she loves is a vampire, so it's like what really do you have to complain about other than I want to make babies? Yeah, the thing about the Vampire Diaries because by this point all the vampires in the main group are either very recently vampires or relatively young vampires who are connected to the young ones and they essentially have a group that's going to live forever. Sans, Matt and Bonnie. And Jeremy, wherever he is. And Jeremy in Columbus, Ohio, or wherever he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I guess Alaric, who's, who is now human. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Alaric is a special case. We'll get into it in the Rick episode, maybe. I really want to, like, chart what relationship does Alaric have to these people in every given <laughs> season. But... You lose something in that, in the Vampire Diaries, that a lot of vampire stories are interested in, which is immortality, but not as a gift, as a curse. Yeah. Immortality as you having to live forever, watching all your loved ones die, and just continue to go on. You seeing generation and generation pass by, the whole world change around you. Like, that's something that doesn't necessarily come across, which is why, as you say, there doesn't seem to be a downside to vampirism, unless you're someone who's morally or on some learned principle against being a vampire like for example you're bill forbes and at some point you're bonnie even though she seems to lose that in the last (laughs) season (laughs) but even the vampirism thing uh apart from just the agelessness like there's many stories that treat vampires as inherently bad either you become your worst self or you're outright possessed by an evil force or the only way to feed is to hurt people And now that you have this Vampire Diaries world where it's like, we have blood bags, we have the eat, snatch, erase technique, we have animals, there's nothing wrong with being a vampire. Elena now even wants to be a doctor, and we've learned that with the exception of cancer, and maybe some other things, your blood can even save lives. She saves lives in that season. Yeah, (laughs) it's almost like living in a Mystic Falls, why would you not choose to be a vampire with the way like things go? It's almost a stupid choice to remain human. Again, outside of some sort of principle, 
that you hold within yourself. It's like, it's the safer, more logical choice. And perhaps something about parentage and family could have been more refined this season to explain why Damon reaches the conclusion that he does yeah. about the cure and being with Elena. Because it's like, yeah, Rick and Joe. Rick is his best friend and he's going to have kids with Joe and he's happy. And he's like, oh my gosh, I actually, I would have thought that this life that I wanted way back when I was married to Isabel even was long out of my reach. And now it's amazing. I've been given a, what is it, fourth child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ricky boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fourth. We've got the whole Parker clan and that twisted family dynamic, but you can see that, for instance, Luke and Liv love each other and Joe does love them. Daddy Parker, mm, I don't know how much mm. he loves them. <laughs> Papa Parker's trying is... Papa Parker is both a victim and a perpetrator of tradition. So I hold some sympathy yeah. for him. But it would have been better to see them maybe really use that and Lily's presence to explain why Damon is suddenly like, you know what, growing old with Elena, having a family, reproducing, which is is really the only thing the only pro that being human is going to give us maybe that could have been a reason why it's like yeah I, I really do feel like doing this now but it really isn't enough he sort of just wakes up one day and is like yeah elena if i take the cure and then you take it off to me i'll start to grow old and die like Catherine. but if you take the cure and then i take it out of you your human years will catch up with you and you'll be like 21 you'll be fine and i can keep it in my body forever and i won't die and then we can be human together and it's like okay and you decided this based on what like what was your journey this season that led to you deciding you wanted to be human because you love elena so much you're willing right to give it's, up. it's truly like okay because elena wants to be human i will now give up the thing i love the most to be with her and i guess in a sense that can be like romantic and like loving gesture but also it's like are you not going to be miserable will you not grow to resent the choice and therefore elena for like almost pushing you into that choice. I can't really envision. Because after that, Stefan does the thing where they retroactively an analyze and be like, Damon, is this the right choice? And Stefan shows him using mental powers the eventualities of like being a human and having to deal with humanity and human problems. Ultimately, the conclusion is Damon's like, yeah, I'll be pissed off, but it's worth it all to be with Elena. And it's like, okay, great. Well, congrats. You guys are going to be human now. But it's like, a it's very... <laughs> not to Stefan, it's convincing. To me, it's like, I don't think Damon's going to last like a week being human before he starts to hate everything. I don't know. We can put a pin in that for the conclusion of the series. But I think it's a, another sign that the Delena relationship is really really a very surface level written for teenagers to watch and not think too hard about kind of an end game like the idea that oh someone would give up this thing that they really really love to be with you and it's like yeah but it's not just this thing damon loves it's a huge part of his identity it's his whole self constantly consistently is going on about how he loves being a vampire how he embraces it fully i think we talked about in season two where there was a road there that could have been followed where it's like that's mostly a front and he actually hates it secretly and he'd love to be human but they drop that the episode they bring it up and it's never referenced again not even in this moment when he's deciding to be human again because this moment is presented as i would deal with all the problems that come with having to 
revert to humanity because I love Elena. It's not like I'm leaping at the chance to be human again. It also undoes a lot of the Elena development because we're supposed to believe that, oh, Elena loves humanity. She loved being human. She never wanted to be a vampire. That's why she struggled so much with becoming a vampire in season four. Damon helped her through it. And it's this beautiful thing where he's the one who makes her realize, you know what, I can love myself like this. I can be happy like this. Then all of a sudden it's like, no, she was actually miserable the whole time. And the second you gave her a chance to become human again, she was like, yes, I want to do it. Even if it means one day Damon will still be 25 and I'll be 93. <laughs> Maybe the writers were trying to do this sort of symmetrical thing where Damon's love for Catherine is what brought him into vampirism in the first place. It was the reason he wanted to be a vampire. It's how he came into this world. It's why he turned. He drank Catherine's blood and died with it in his system and then he woke up as a vampire. And now Elena is like this opposite thing where their relationship is making him value humanity. He wants to be human again. She will take the cure and then he will drink her blood and become human. And I'm like, sure. Yeah, the optics look that way. But the way your characters are behaving doesn't seem that way. Like Elena doesn't really do a good job of convincing Damon that being human would be great. The way that Catherine convinced him that being a vampire would be great. Because it wasn't just his love for Catherine. It wasn't like he was like, oh, being a vampire sounds terrible, but I'll make this sacrifice for you catherine he was like this sounds cool let's do he it he was pulled in by the allure yeah i don't know it's not like a hill i'm willing to die on yeah he wants to be human great it doesn't work out so it doesn't fully matter <laughs> um i think the last thing i want to say about the cure is that like the idea that elena would take it and then damon would take it from her and then they would just live their human lives unbothered untouched by anyone <laughs> when Damon's just walking around with the cure for immortality in his body. <laughs> I think it's fully insane. I think no one appreciates why Catherine was running for 500 years. You would think Elena would understand the concept of like immortals constantly coming after you because your blood is special. Yeah. But like Damon doesn't seem to think that's ever going to be a problem. And I think that's fascinating. But the hubris of people is none of my business. <laughs> Once Elena has the cure sucked out of her by Damon, doesn't she go back to being a Petrova doppelganger? Which means Klaus can use her Klaus. to make hybrids again. And now you're not a vampire. So who's going to protect Elena? Stefan, you guys are living three towns over. Stefan has like his problems to deal with. And on the topic of Klaus, because Klaus is still, you know, kicking it up in New Orleans at that time. Every enemy he has who knows that this is the original hybrid, nothing can harm him, not even the soul the daggers dipped in white oak ash they'd be like well we if we force feed him damon salvatore's blood that's he's no longer a vampire <laughs> we can beat him he's just a in fact he's we don't even have to kill him we can let his age catch up to him he'll be a thousand year old werewolf <laughs> and werewolves are not immortal so yeah it's not material to me whether or not that's well done or not. Yeah, I guess the point of the cure thing being brought back is that eventually Damon and Elena are on good terms. They're happy. Everything is going swell and beautifully. And that's where Kai comes in with the Bonnie thing. Oh, <sighs> yeah. So... I mean, you already know the story. Kai, in the last episode of season six, shows up in a surprise return, kills his sister with her babies in utero, or so they think, and then knocks out Bonnie and links her and Elena with a spell. This is his final revenge to Bonnie for leaving him trapped in the second prison world after he came back with hope and remorse in his heart. <laughs> hope? Baby hope? Uh, baby hope! <laughs> 
I just went home to feed hope. <laughs> oh, that just lifted my spirits. I was in a little bit of a funk for like five minutes there. That's brought me back. All right. <laughs> So, um, he links Bonnie and Elena together in such a way that Elena falls into a deep sleep, like Sleeping Beauty herself, for which the spell is named. So long as Bonnie is alive, Elena will remain in this unconscious, ageless sleep. And only when Bonnie dies, by natural causes, by forced death, not super material to Kai, then will Elena wake up. And it's doubly cruel because... Bonnie doesn't get to live the rest of her life with her best friend. And once Bonnie's died, her best friend has had the world completely go past her for 80 years, theoretically. He tries to goad Damon into killing Bonnie to get Elena back because he assumes that what's Damon's going to do. And I guess as a symbol of like Damon pulling the unexpected and making the selfless choice for once, he... It doesn't kill Bonnie, so, you know. Yay? I guess Kai was going for the sadistic choice. I think he says as much that it was meant to be like, oh, Damon, you really do love Bonnie, we've been told this season. She's the person you love the most apart from Stefan and Elena, I guess now? Yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> so now this is going to be really difficult. We all know you love Elena the most. So we assume, well, Kai assumes, yes, you will decide, because Bonnie is injured is the thing. Bonnie is injured and dying. And Kai is like, you could save her with your blood or you, you could, could let, let her, her die. And Elena would wake up, but we know Elena wouldn't be too pleased with yeah, that. That's so you spend the rest too. of your life with Elena being upset at you that you let her friend die in order to save her. And it's going to be a difficult choice for you to make. And Damon walks away, seemingly leaving Bonnie to die. And Kai is disappointed that he didn't take longer. He's like, is that it? Like, damn, that's cold. I thought he would at least like, you know, struggle with it for a bit. <laughs> And then he's like, wow, Bonnie, I'm, I'm so sorry that this man doesn't care about you. And Damon Vamp speeds back and decapitates Kai with a super fast karate chop to the neck. Yeah, Kai, who this that is exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you mentioned something that now makes me think of like, because Kai specifies when Elena wakes up, she'll know that you're the one who let Bonnie die. It's like, if there was some world in which Elena was okay, with Damon being the one who had let Bonnie die, which is not unthinkable, right? Yeah. We've spoken at length about the things Elena okays that Damon does. I don't think she'd be okay with Bonnie, but let's say for argument's sake, she was. How do you think the situation would have turned out? Uh... If Damon knew for certain that Elena would forgive him or be okay with him letting Bonnie die to save her, because in her eyes, you know, Damon does these things because he loves her and that's like the truest expression of love he, he can show. Do you think he would have saved Bonnie? I think the show would have you believe by this point he loves Bonnie enough as her own individual person that he wouldn't want her dead he'd be willing to wait. <laughs> okay. Or at least that in the moment when Kai asked him, his answer would have been, no, I'm not going to let Bonnie die. But <laughs> given everything we've seen the character do and how he can turn on a dime when he's backed against the wall, you know, things like murdering Aaron's family during his summer of love with Elena, murdering Aaron himself, <laughs> snapping Jeremy's neck back in season two when he was upset at Elena's rejection. Just a lot of things would make me think that Damon you are definitely capable of something this evil and I will not have this show sit here and convince me that you have somehow redeemed yourself for the 50th time and this one is gonna stick so <laughs> yeah I don't know 
Yeah. I don't know either. I don't know. I just wanted to pose the question because I, I, it popped into my head. That's the end of season six. Um, of course, there is the, the final montage where Elena gets to say goodbye to all her loved ones and she and Damon get to dance in her mindscape and it's really sweet. Oh, so, yeah, you know. it is. That that was a nice scene. I was like, I'm not completely heartless. It, it should have been Stelena, but I, it was a beautiful. The song I, is called, I think I it's called think Hunger. <laughs> it's called what? I think the song is called Hunger. There's a... I don't know what it is. Is that the scene when they're kissing in the rain or does that happen earlier in the season where they're kissing in the rain and Elena's like, promise me this is forever. And then in the, <laughs> I think in the, in the promo for a later season, they redid that scene, but edited Kai into Elena's place. Where I saw like, that. <laughs> I truly love that. He's like looking at the camera, like smirking at the cheesiness of it all. I was going to say, I do appreciate that you think that that's something I would remember and hold in my memory. <laughs> Just from my memory in general, but also a, a romantic Delena scene where they're dancing in the rain. I just, <laughs> that's a compliment that I do not deserve. But yeah, that's, I mean, they, they end with this idea that like Damon now is going to be this, I don't know, hero for mystic falls that's when they do the like time oh, yeah, jump he's on transition the, right yeah at the end he's of the on season. the clock tower and it seems we we assume the presence of the heretics because that was the cliffhanger that the season ended on it's like oh elena's sleeping and also the heretics are out lily's got her family <laughs> back uh, <laughs> and then there's the time jump and it's like oh mystic falls has become the ghetto because of the heretics. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird and there's this phrase that's constantly being pushed around of like, he's doing right by Elena and he'll say oh. every episode as he just continues to be the exact same person. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever, end of season six. Not a long rap sheet. Episode seven, because the first six episodes, he's just in the prison world and the only person to attack there is Kai, which go for it. Harassing Elena, who doesn't remember their relationship. And Liam. Yeah, I threw Liam in here because he, like, starts compelling Liam and, like, just doing this weird alpha posturing thing, which, if you look at it from the outside, he's this person, to Elena, he's this person who she's never dated, and he's just showing up and bothering her actual dates. <laughs> and I just thought that. It's, it's just, like, it's funny in this scene, but also, I'm like, David, what are you doing? This is so stupid. Episode 9, he compels Alaric to steal the Ascendant from Joe. Episode 12, guilting Caroline about trying to heal her mom with vampire blood. Releasing Kai to suck the magic out of her cancer. Throwing Lucas and Olivia Parker under the bus for a merge. Then Joe said in the very same. <laughs> and <laughs> I've counted Lucas Parker here as a kill. Judge. Ah, that seems unfair. <laughs> I will be making an appeal after the end of the case, but fair enough. For now, it shall be stricken. Episode 16. Traumatizing Barney regarding Kai, or Caps. One of the worst things he's ever done <laughs> yeah. in the show. Period across the board. Episode 19. Hiding the cure for immortality that Barney gave him for Elena. Attempting to kill Barney to take the cure to Lily. And then in the final episode, he kills Kai. So, one kill this season. A record. Killing Kai deserved 
Yeah, love no, the, it. Using a, a a move that we've seen Elijah do before. I think that was Elijah the first thing we saw Elijah do. <laughs> Decapitating mm-hmm. Trevor. I love it. And I love to see it. Very good. Uh, one kill this season. The least kills he's had across the show. Amazing. Maybe maybe he did grow and we missed it. No, he was in a prison world for half the season. <laughs> there wasn't anyone to kill. <laughs> Oh man, okay, jumping into season seven. Season seven, the season of the heretics, right? Or at least the first arc is of the heretics. It starts off so interesting. Damon's not even in town, right? Like, we we left on this whole idea of, like, Damon's supposed to do right by Elena and be, like, a champion of Mystic Falls, but he's in Amsterdam with Rick on, like, a Oktoberfest tour. Granted, Rick is, like, grieving his recently dead wife and unborn children, so, you know... By all means, please. Barney's just with them, I guess, to make sure it doesn't go off the rails. Also, because now we need to put Bayman front and center, because that's his most treasured relationship now, outside of Stefan. It is wild, in my opinion, to then open the season with him, considering letting a car crush Barney <laughs> on the road, on the possibility of getting Elena back. But I'm just some random person, so, you know, what's my opinion worth? You know what I'm saying? I have to say that the idea that Damon is going to spend season seven struggling the whole, I'm going to let Bonnie live out her life, not just because she's Elena's bestie, but because I love her too, and I wouldn't want to sacrifice her to bring back Elena, who obviously I love the most, is kind of strange for the man who waited 145 (laughs) years for Catherine Pierce. (laughs) Are we supposed to believe he just loves Elena so much he can't wait for less than a century for Bonnie to die? You know, they're always, they're always pushing that. I cut it out of the last episode because I was like, it's not substantial enough. But they're always pushing this idea that like him and Elena are just it above all. Above Stefan and Elena, above him and Catherine, which is like, obviously Catherine didn't love him as much, but he was devoted, capital D, to Catherine. Yeah. And they'll have you believe that just like, that was nothing. And Elena is everything. But he can't wait a couple decades? I don't know, fam. Although, I don't know if Bonnie would be into this. I certainly assumed she must be because this season... No, not this season. Towards the end of the season, she gets with Enzo. And I'm like, you are the one mortal person dating a vampire that I will allow to pretend like this could work in the long run. <laughs> because in this world, witches can slow their aging. True. So perhaps this whole thing of, oh, you know, in 80 years when Bonnie dies, and 60 years when Bonnie dies, was a bit un- realistic maybe she would have been alive for like (laughs) the next century you think bonnie would have actively been like i'm gonna slow my aging to live longer knowing (laughs) that elena will continue to sleep elena's not going i I would love that bonnie have her fun bonnie has i would love that for her i just don't think it's something bonnie would do oh what a thought though (laughs) i mean by the end of the series she's dating a vampire and i'm like you could slow your aging to be with him a bit longer I, i i don't know yeah it doesn't seem like something most witches do We've only, in the show, I think we only see about two, two witches who do it. Yeah, it's Gloria and it's Nandi. Nandi, yeah. So yeah, it's, they come back from Oktoberfest and come to Mystic Falls to find that the remainder of the MFG, how few they are now because everybody's gone. At this point, Jeremy's been sent off, Elena's sleeping, Tyler's not living in town anymore. It's really just Stefan, 
Caroline and Matt are the only people left trying to hold this town together. And they've had to make a deal with Lily and the heretics to keep everybody safe because they were in this back and forth war between the two groups and all it ended in was bloodshed. So they make this deal. They move all the Mystic Falls residents out of Mystic Falls through compulsion. And I guess some sort of legal forgery, I have to assume. Otherwise, how the hell? And the heretics get the town. I guess you can compel people to just sign over their properties and whatnot. Yeah, it's a shame. I wonder when they, because they do eventually come back, I guess. We don't know if it's the same people, but the town just becomes populated again at some point mid-season and it's never addressed. The MFG is so selfish. I don't believe for a second that they went and found all these people <laughs> and undid the compulsion or recompelled them to come back to town. I'm just, I'm curious about all the disrepair because I don't think they were keeping up like 10,000 homes in Mystic Falls by themselves. (laughs) It's just not feasible. I know they're vampire speed, but who has the temperament? But Damon and Bonnie come back and they decide, screw this deal. We don't like it. And so they kill one of the heretics and set off animosity once more. I said it before, but like the Damon Bonnie connection, they just enable each other in a weird way in the season and I'm not about it. It's oh, Damon. <laughs> Every relationship Damon is in, he has a tendency to bring out the worst side in that person. Him, Bonnie and Rick are forming this like trio now that's sort of moving around town doing their own thing because they're trying to bring back well rick's trying to bring back joe and they're being slowly let in on what's been happening and trying to help him i think damon in a call with lily when they're like trying to trade off with oscar is talking about how you've got your family i've made a family of my own and then they pull out on the shot and it's bonnie rick and damon like all in view and i'm like i don't know if i care about this family if i'm being honest (laughs) i don't think if i care even a little bit this family is toxic and messed up and i hate it i think this is the point where rick lied to bonnie about destroying the phoenix stone even though it was giving bonnie horrific painful visions of like tortured souls and he was like yeah i destroyed it i don't i don't know why why that could be happening to you the whole time he still has it and he's still trying to use it to bring people back and it's like i don't know if this family is as caring as you think it is rick and bonnie share a mutual friend and that's the only reason they hang out yeah yeah all the lily stuff happens i suppose there's a lot of back and forth between uh, steph and damon and the mfg and then lily and the heretics julian comes back and that throws a spanner in the works yeah we we get flashbacks to for the for the sake of lily we get flashbacks to all the like young salvatore stuff where we (laughs) we not only learn that damon was quite a bit older than Stefan, which yep. is not how the series started. Yep. Eight years. Because like, Ian Summerholder. <laughs> That's so funny. Ian Summerholder because... is just there in his in his 30s playing, I guess, a teenage version of Damon while Stefan is like 10. <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. When they flash- I think that flashback's in season six because it's about Lily's oh, funeral. Well, you know, yeah, but it's about Lily's funeral while all the Liz stuff is happening because he was supposed to give a eulogy at his mother's funeral and now he's doing it at Liz's which is like I don't know why anyone's giving Damon the chance to do anything but it's great for his character and they flash back to him as a full adult and Stefan's like five <laughs> <laughs> so crazy 
I think season seven is the flashbacks where they do have another actor playing Damon. Yeah, like a 12-year-old Damon. He looks very much like Ian Somerhalder. He's got the dark hair, big blue eyes. And then Stefan doesn't look much younger than he did in the flashbacks where Damon was being played by Ian. Stefan stayed <laughs> the same age from when Damon looked like a child to when he looked like Ian Somerhalder. <laughs> Wild. But uh, what I wanted to say is this is where, in my opinion, the retcons around Giuseppe start to seep in where he is just far more physically abusive than we had been led to believe in the previous seasons particularly season one where he has a huge presence it's like oh he was burning damon with cigars he was slapping lily around the house even stefan knew to be afraid of him and it's like oh so this man was just a monster and i feel much like with Michael and Klaus, which happens in the originals, this is being done to make Damon, who is now the victim of this man's abuse, seem more sympathetic by comparison. It's like, oh, we have this person who's done awful things, and this person who we know was a bad parent figure, but now it's like, oh, they weren't just a bad parent, they were an abuser. Like, they hurt and broke and traumatized this person. It's like, kind of feels like you're playing catch up with Klaus was very obvious because now Klaus had to be a protagonist so it's like we can't just have him be the devil we need him to be we need him to be sympathetic so I was like okay I know why they did it with Klaus with Damon I was like why is Giuseppe suddenly so horrible is it for the sake of Lily or so I have a lot of thoughts on this uh, firstly to say for Klaus for Klaus I'm less interested in and this is something I want to talk about when we close out on this but like Klaus I'm less interested in like how bad is Klaus right because Klaus is bad that's kind of the whole draw of Klaus he's like a thousand years old he's monstrous and he's concerns are usually about himself and his family even his family it's like well if you cross me then screw you i don't care for family that's kind of the fun of it yeah and so it's like the retcon of or the the introduction of michael turning out to have been particularly abusive works more for me as a character study of klaus regardless of like sympathy in terms of his character and i think i feel a similar thing about damon where i'm more interested in the giuseppe of it all in trying to understand damon and less so as a tool of making him sympathetic as a character now that in season seven he's one of two lead characters when prior to season seven he was the third lead yeah it's elena stefan damon and now with elena gone it's stefan and damon so damon now has to pick up a lot more of the slack in the protagonist department. And so we need to like shore up our defenses in terms of how much do we actually care about Damon as a person to be rooted for, Mm. I guess. But I'm less interested in that and more interested in how him having an abusive father interplays with the violence that he expresses in present day and has done so as a vampire. I'm more interested in the cycle of violence, right? Where it's like you had this father who was awful to you and your brother. In your mind, certainly, you see yourself as nothing like your father. But then if you were to take an outside view and analyze the behavior you show towards loved ones, towards strangers, towards women, there is a connection there. There is a the sins of the father thing happening there where it's like you are the man you think you're fighting to not be. 
you know? So that's why I'm I'm less critical of the Giuseppe retcons because it makes all the violence of Damon more interesting. Yeah, it, it definitely colors a lot of things with more vivid shades, like the infamous I will break your arm scene. Yes. And the abuse of Caroline. And exactly. How he almost exclusively seems to feed off of women when he's, you know, having fun and partying and... Yeah. Abusive Damon Salvatore becomes textually interesting when you introduce abusive Giuseppe Salvatore. Because otherwise, Damon just sucks for no reason. Damon just sucks as a person. And also <laughs> the ways in which he he is also abusive towards Stefan, particularly towards the beginning of the series. Yeah. Where it's like, you were both victims of the same man, and now you're victimizing your brother like when for the longest time you were his biggest protector it's very billy butcher and his brother i don't know if you've seen the boys i have but it's very billy butcher and his yeah. brother billy butcher is a character why haven't i brought him up <laughs> billy butcher and damon salvatore are in the same damn whatsapp group i can't believe i've not mentioned him yeah there's a similar thing happening there where you have this younger brother that you spend a long time trying to protect and shield from the abuse of your father and then at the end of the day you became that person to your brother it's fascinating. Yeah, I guess now that you've you've put it that way, I can appreciate the Giuseppe. I think not not like I'm a ride or die Giuseppe fan. But <laughs> Giuseppe heads rise up. Our hive is small but active. <laughs> I do love James Ramad, the original actor. He's a great actor. He's in Black Lightning, and he yeah, plays, he plays the, like Gamby or something. His name is yeah, Gamby. He's the Everett Ross from Black Panther of Black Lightning. He's like the one reliable white man. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that for him. But uh, yeah, I just, I guess I had found it jarring because I never saw, I think I saw Giuseppe initially, season one Giuseppe. Mm. I saw him as what Bill Forbes might have been if he hadn't, you know, had that nice conclusion with Caroline. Whereas like being a vampire is wrong. I see them as inherently evil. I'm from a Mystic Force founding family. So I just believe this is wrong because I've never gotten to know vampires and I've never learned that some of them can be good, just like humans. That's why I believe the things I believe. And then taken to its extreme, it's like, yeah, my sons have chosen to side with this vampire who they love over the innocent people in this town who have been victims. So I'm going to shoot them because... Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm a fanatic and they've made their choice. They've made their bed and now they're going to go lay in it. And then it becomes this, what I think I found the retcon. I call it a retcon. Other people might not see it as a retcon. But I found it just a bit jarring initially where I was like, oh, so Giuseppe just always sucked. He was a bad father, a bad husband, a bad person. And it wasn't the Catherine of it all that led to him shooting Damon and Stefan. He might have shot Damon and Stefan if they decided to work for the union and not the Confederacy. <laughs> <laughs> I fully believe that. Which is important because there's a storyline I really want to dig into for season 7. I think that I understand that and I, I see that. But there is this quote. I'm not sure if you know Brennan Lee Mulligan. I know him from College Humor, yes. He runs Dimension 20, um, which is a production by... College Humor is now goes by dropout in dimension 20 he does like uh campaigns of dnd 5e or they use other systems as well but in his campaigns he discusses a lot of like politics and like that sort of thing and there's a quote he had on one of the interviews and i'm gonna paraphrase it and get it wrong but the idea is that you are an individual before you are ideological and so before you were a fascist you were a bully I think that's the quote that he uses. So the idea that, you know, for as much as 
we as people can be susceptible to groupthink and to being propagandized or being sold into this fanatical idea of reality and of a certain people or of a certain belief to be the person who would shoot your sons because they sided with this threat that you perceive as the end of your town you had to be someone who would have shot their sons (laughs) even before you know subscribing to that ideology yeah so i personally don't think that sans the fanaticism about vampires he could have been a great person to begin with and so i'm personally not surprised to learn in a retcon hey he was actually kind of abusive that's fair it might also be or it might also (laughs) go on i can't even take myself seriously as i say this it might also be a justification or at least from the beginning of the show because you know they they aren't completely stupid they know confederacy like damn that's (laughs) it's always been this thing of oh damon only joined the confederacy to impress his dad and by the time we enter the show like the flashbacks where they start with Catherine, he has deserted them technically he's supposed to be on leave but he just never goes back so then later on he's like he's labeled a deserter yeah (laughs) it's it's just just before you go on i do want to say that the idea that because he joined the confederacy to make his father happy that then absolves him of joining the confederacy (laughs) no (laughs) he's not he's not there for one day he's in war he fights for the confederacy for a period of time, and then deserts. I don't think the idea that it was just to impress his father then means like, eh, it's fine. Damon fought for the Confederacy in the American Civil War. That is what happened. It's also funny that forevermore, it's like treated as canon that he was a deserter. And I'm like, I don't think he deserted. He was on leave while Catherine yep. was in town. And then he died. And then he died. And became a vampire. Like He during, would have gone back. Yeah, during the whole Jonathan Gilbert founding family era of 1864 i don't think his father was like on his case about how son you have abandoned the war (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's because they were hunting vampires and giuseppe was like it's fine it's good to have damon home but but then i don't think giuseppe had told damon about vampires because damon finds out about capital on his own he assumes they don't know but anyway my point was that now with the whole son of an abusive parent angle you could maybe (laughs) make the argument that okay damon didn't join the confederacy because he was a daddy's boy who wanted to make daddy like him a bit more maybe it was like he was a victim of abuse who was trying to find some way to survive even though i'm like you were an adult and you weren't as helpless in the situation as 25 yeah you're 25 stefan is 17 which even then in 1864 basically an adult (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) they should both have children (laughs) they should really both of their mother would be so disappointed if she was still alive no wives Uh, (laughs) no children no homes (laughs) what's going on it's not even like mystic falls is this big town where maybe damon was like being a hoe and enjoying his bachelor (laughs) life and that's why he hadn't settled down (laughs) They're just 
at home. There is an implication, right? It is, this is the thing I wanted to say too, because we brought up, well, you brought up specifically, and it is true. They say that Damon was this, oh, I might've said it. Season three, they bring up that Damon was like this goody goody as an early vampire. Damon as a human, he was a bit of a rake. That was the implication. When Catherine shows up, he's like, you know, pulling his suspenders, opening his second button. He's like whoring it up. He's ready to like chase after Catherine in a way that would be considered very lewd in the late 1800s. <laughs> so I did this. <laughs> He was a little bit trying to hoe around. It's just that there weren't that many options. Yeah, there's like five families in town. And they- yeah, <laughs> they just settled <laughs> ten years prior. <laughs> but yeah, speaking speaking of the Confederacy, your, your favorite part of season seven. Yes. Yes, I love it. I love it. Wait, what are you referencing? Because I have... I want to talk about Phoenix Stone stuff. What are you talking about? Yeah, Phoenix Stone and the, and the, the sixth heretic. The sixth? Her- yes, okay, so yes. <laughs> there's this heretic called Oscar. <laughs> there's this East Asian heretic called Oscar. And we only mention his ethnicity because he fought in the Confederate <laughs> the Confederate Army in the Civil War. He and Damon supposedly knew each other in the 1860s while Damon was a part of the Confederate Army. He was actually Damon's superior. How that works in terms of racial demographics in the US at the time, I don't know. I'm not an American and I'm not a historian. So that's, you know, we'll throw that one to the wayside. So supposedly there was some big battle that was happening the next day. And this heretic guy who, for some reason, left, like, I mean, Lily sent him to go check on Damon. Because Lily sent Valerie to check on Stefan and then Oscar to check on Damon. And then Oscar decided, yeah, I'll just join the Confederate Army (laughs) and then just stick around. I love it. Like, she she sends Valerie to check on Stefan and Valerie falls in love with Stefan (laughs) and ends up pregnant with his child. It's like, whoops, that wasn't meant to happen. Meanwhile, Oscar's like, nah, I'm going to join the Confederacy. The Confederacy. They seem real cool and chill and align with all my ideals. A marginalized witch that was kicked out of my coven for being different. Uh, I don't think this is what Lily had in mind when (laughs) she sent you on this mission. So he joins the Confederacy and he somehow becomes an army general. He's not a heretic at this point. He's just a siphon. Valerie He's the first one to be turned. Yeah. And she's a witch at this time too. So he's just a witch and he just joins the army and he sees apparently in Damon's heart that Damon's like not in it. And so he tells Damon to take the day off, go on leave, go see his family or something. And Damon leaves and there's a massacre the next day that Damon was not a part of. And it's like framed as this sad thing that like the Confederate army was massacred. And I'm like, I know guys. They were fighting to keep enslaved people. I don't know how sad I am about that. I don't know how sad I am if Damon died there too. <laughs> like When Oscar in the modern era runs into Damon for the first time, he mentions knowing Damon or see, thinking that Damon looks familiar and Damon denies it in front of Bonnie and Alaric. Then later on, when the two of them are alone, he says, yes, I do remember you. I remember you from my Confederate army days. I don't like to bring that stuff up in front of my friends. It's not a time that I'm particularly proud of. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay, so at least the story has some awareness that... That it's like, hey, 
we keep talking about the Confederacy and being really weirdly okay Damon is about at least, it. Yeah, at least ashamed enough of this that he's like, I don't want to talk about it in front of Rick and Barney. I doubt the writers were thinking because Barney's black. I think they were just thinking <laughs> because they're my friends and this isn't what people in the 21st century do. <laughs> we can never acknowledge race in this show. We simply <laughs> cannot. But Oscar says, and it's the first time we hear this, in season seven, even though we've referenced Damon's Confederate history before, Oscar says for the first time that, oh yeah, you were against everything they stood for. Uh, You hated it all. You were just there for the sake of your father. And I'm like, you had told us he was there for the sake of his dad before, but you never told us that he was specifically against everything the Confederacy stood for. I was like, okay, that's an interesting detail, but you just decided to add. Whatever, it's fine. I want to put a pin in that one for later. So we'll just real quick put a pin in that one. Go on. No, I just I just wanted to point oh, that, that out was that the, Oscar okay. arrives. We acknowledge that the Confederacy is a bad <laughs> thing that Damon feels bad about. Damon the murderer. Yeah. <laughs> Damon who would Damon kill his friend's friends. serial killer. It's just like, man, those Confederacy days, dude, I can't I can't have my people be hearing about that. Please, thanks. And then Oscar is like, yeah, remember how you hated the Confederacy and everything they were about? And I'm like, You've yeah. never told us this before, Damon, but okay, if you say so. <laughs> Oscar was a plant. <laughs> Oscar's an industry plant. Yeah, all the heretic stuff resolves. The Lily stuff really is what, like, ends off this arc where they end up working with Lily to try and get rid of Julian. This new, like, not necessarily physically abusive, but emotionally abusive character in Lily's life who is filling this weird, like, hated stepfather role for the Salvatore boys now, even though they're not in, like, a mother-son relationship with Lily at the moment. Strange dynamic going on in season seven that I'm always fascinated by. In the end, Julian forces Lily to make this choice between Damon and Valerie, one of the heretics, as the symbolic choice between her old life with her Salvatore family and her new life with the heretic family. And she, believing that she and Julian are still linked by magic, which they did for his protection, grabs a piece of wood and stakes herself, hoping it'll kill her and Julian with her. But Julian has secretly had himself unlinked by one of the heretics that is still on his side, because everybody has sided with Lily and Valerie at this point, because Valerie was particularly violated and abused by Julian. So Lily dies, Damon, start to finish on Lily, has been like, I don't care about her. If anything, he tried to kill Julia knowing it would kill Lily and didn't care. So that's kind of the energy we've been working with. And on her deathbed, as everybody's saying their sweet goodbyes, as the splinter of wood is traveling to her heart and is going to kill her, Damon's like... Because Stephen says, say something. Damon's busy downing whiskey, leans over into Lily's ear and says... You made your bed. Have a nice nap. And this woman dies with that having been the last thing she heard. <laughs> and again, I'll say, like I said in the Lily episode, Damon's well within his right. He is the scorned child. She did abandon them, even though strenuous circumstances. That is his emotional response, and that's fine. Yeah. But it does kick off this arc now of like, now we have to deal with Julian, who's grieving and tearing across, like, Virginia, and then coming back to Mystic Falls with all his old weirdo vampire friends. He's clearly not as okay as he's pretending to be, because he's just drinking the whole time and just, like, making jibes as he tends to, while Stefan's trying his best to just be like, just feel something, please. This is ridiculous. Just confront it. Just deal with it. And Dave was like, deal with what? 
it's Christmas. We're drinking at Christmas time. Eggnog is my favorite drink. It's just like, all right, buddy. I mean, long story short, a number of things happen, but he inevitably gets stabbed by the Phoenix Sword, which is the sword that's been introduced. It was a sword in one piece, and then the Phoenix Stone that they've been using, they thought they were using to resurrect people, but was actually, is a jail for a bunch of immortal vampire souls. So he gets stabbed with the combined Phoenix Sword and gets trapped in the sword. Stefan also gets stabbed in that same episode. I had forgotten. Both of them go down and get trapped in the Phoenix Stone. It leads to, I think, my favorite episode that's like about Damon. Uh, we've been talking a lot about episodes that are interested in exploring Damon's morality, exploring Damon's propensity for violence, and either excusing or rehabilitating Damon's image in that respect in a way that doesn't work for me. I'll say for us, I don't want to speak for you, but like typically it doesn't feel earned or it doesn't feel genuine, you know? Or it's an awful retcon that just makes it worse and links it to past awful things he's done. <laughs> it's, just, it's always not good. This episode, season seven, episode 10, it's called Hell is Other People. And this is an episode entirely start to finish except for the last two minutes just Damon and the Phoenix Stone it is such a good episode so how is other people firstly is a quote from a philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre French philosopher and playwright it's a line from a play called No Exit it's a play that was written in 1944 and it's about, I think, like three or four people who are trapped in what is to be understood as like hell or purgatory or some sort of like post-death place. Very season one, the bad place, right? <laughs> that's the idea. In fact, I think season one, the bad place is based on this concept. But it's a quote that's often misunderstood by people in terms of like hell is other people. Everyone sucks, essentially, is where everyone goes with that. But I think the the understanding is meant to be hell is other people, but also heaven is other people, uh. you know, like it's not just a one way thing. Anyway, this is not a philosophical like jaunt, but I felt the need to contextualize the name of the episode. In this episode, Damon, his like, because we know from Julian, who's been trapped in the stone that you supposedly are living through hell and you're like being tortured, essentially with your worst actions, I think. It's just not supposed to be a good time being trapped in the stone. And so we open on a particular day during Damon's service in the Confederate Army. It's a day that he receives a letter from Stefan. Stefan, again, 17, moody, sad boy teenager. Mom's just died. Brother's off at the war. Dad is an abusive asshole. So he's just by himself and depressed at home. He's like, brother, listen... I am trying to be, you know, strong, but truth be told, I'm alone and depressed and dad's not making it any better. And the day seems oh so dark. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's, I joke, but like we're going to get into at some point just like the, the suicidality of Stefan Salvatore and how that's like, you know, a whole thing. So Damon you know, being a decent older brother is like, my concern about my brother, who seems like he's not doing well, I need to go back and see him. So he goes and speaks to his general, who is not Oscar. So I have to assume this is not, well, actually, I don't know how this plays out then with the Oscar stuff. But 
He asks his general, can I get some leave? The general's like, ha, you're funny. We're in the middle of the war. Everybody wants leave. And like, we're losing this war. Damon's like, listen, my brother, he just wrote to me. He doesn't sound well. I need to go make sure he's okay. And then I'll come right back. And then the general's like, stop messing around with me. And then someone else comes to the general and is like, oh, we've got this problem. We've got deserters or something. And then Damon's like, okay, how about this? You need help rounding up deserters. If I do this for you, no questions asked, you let me off for like a week on leave to go make sure he's okay. General's like, yeah, I can get behind that. So Damon and his little friend, Henry Wattles, who I'd said to you is going to come back at a later stage, <laughs> way back at the beginning, I said, Henry Wattles comes back. So him and Henry go to this nearby house and they knock at the door. And this old woman answers and Damon's like, hello, um, we're just, you know, on the road from this awful war and we're tired and hungry. Can we have some food and lodging? And the woman's like, eh, I don't know. And he's like, let me remind you, it's the law actually to give us food and lodging. It's your duty in wartime. And so they're like, well, damn, I can't fight the system. So opens a door, lets the soldiers in, they come in. When they go in, there's two other people in the home. They're chopping, they're preparing a big meal. It's three women. And I think this is interesting too. I don't know if it's intentional, but there's a very maiden mother crone thing going on with this family where there's a grandmother, a mother, and a daughter playing around with like this hell idea. You're trapped in this realm. You're viewing your past, present, and future. It has to be intentional that this family in this memory they match the maiden mother crone imagery they are busy now inspecting the house he tells henry to go upstairs and and search while he checks down here and he's like you wouldn't happen to be harboring any soldiers would you and they're like no absolutely not and he's like okay good 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 long story short there are in fact soldiers hiding in the house they're in like they're behind the pantry Larder? I don't know what you'd call it. You have to move this enormous door and there's like food stores behind it and they're hiding back there. They come out of the larder and they're holding their guns. These women are like being held to the side by Damon as like, you know, keep your hands up. Don't do anything stupid. We're taking care of this. Everyone's now holding guns against each other. It's a Confederate standoff. <laughs> and then Damon pretends to be putting his gun down. Henry's still upstairs and he's holding his gun ready. Damon ducks down and Henry shoots one of the soldiers. Damon ducking down grabs his gun and pulls up to shoot. One of the women is trying to run across the room and he shoots the one woman. He turns to try and shoot the second soldier. He shoots a second woman <laughs> as the soldier's escaping. The third woman grabs a weapon to try and attack Damon and Damon shoots her. And everyone besides Damon and Henry are dead. And Henry just collapses. He's so emotional. The poor sweet boy. He's this doe-eyed, like, fresh-faced child. He's, he's very much like Damon's younger protege in this whole thing. Shame. Damon's very emotional, too. I don't think he enjoyed killing a bunch of people in this house. But it's just... I'm only laughing because this unfolds. He goes downstairs into where they were hiding in this basement place. And then... Lily Salvatore shows up because the main locus of the torture in the stone that's happening is through Lily because that he hasn't confronted like the the feelings he has about his mom's death. When he gets down to Lily 
and they're having this back and forth and he's like i didn't mean for all that to happen that's not my fault i was just trying to get back to stefan they were hiding union soldiers they were criminals this and that the thing that damon always does right where it's like it's never damon's fault there's always someone else to blame you brought it up last session it was kind of jokey but like the whole catherine thing in season five where he blames catherine or readily shifts blame to catherine for what happens to vicky in the first season there's this whole idea in this episode of Damon, not unlike past instances, being confronted with the actions that he takes when he needs something for himself or for a loved one and how far he's willing to go to do it and how there is never not a justification, right? No matter how bad the thing he does is, it's always okay. It was just to achieve this other purpose. We come out of this thing, Lily pulls up a gun to him and is like waxing poetic in this in the same respect. And then she shoots him and he wakes up on a table and Barney's there with like candles and it's like she's doing magic and whatever. And she's used the Phoenix Stone seemingly to finally bring him back to his body. He moves through this sort of like, oh, I'm back, I'm good. They haven't brought back Stefan apparently. So now he's like, we need to get Stefan out. And Barney's like, it took me a week to get you out. I'm exhausted. My magic's used up. Damon's like, yeah, figure it out. And Barney's like, I guess I'll try. And then they go to Stefan's room. His body's not there. It's been snatched. Oh, Caroline's like severely pregnant at this point. I forgot. Because Candace King is pregnant in real life at this point. So it's like, this is the season that Caroline's pregnancy was happening oh yeah i always forget that was the reason that happened yeah it occurred to me as i was rewatching season seven episodes because there's one episode and then in the next one she's like so pregnant they've had to jump several weeks and i'm like wait why would they narratively this doesn't make sense oh that's a real pregnant belly oh yeah candace king had just gotten married and was having a baby around this time Anyway, Julian's apparently taken Stefan's body. So Damon goes to the diner that Julian tells him to go to to try and get it back. They're talking about, you know, the Phoenix Stone and whatever. Julian sets Stefan's body on fire and then Damon starts fighting Julian and then Julian runs off and Damon's trying to put out <laughs> Stefan's body and then Lily shows up <laughs> and it's like, hold on, but Lily's dead. Oh no, we're still in the Phoenix Stone. And then when it clicks for him, he wakes up on the battlefield again. And it's very Groundhog Day. <laughs> There's Henry over there. He's brushing his teeth with his finger. Gives him a sweet little smile. He's like, hello there, hero. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a crazy episode. But it's so good. We keep going in cycles of him waking up on the battlefield again. Going through the same events. Making the same choices to be like... I will go and look for the soldiers being hidden away. Going back to this home with the three women living there. In each instance, just like Groundhog's Day or any sort of storyline that does this kind of uh, technique, because it's not a new one. Yeah. He's convinced that if he can do things the correct way, if he can figure out a way to do it so that it doesn't end in the worst possible way, then he'll be fine. But every time he tries something different, the circumstances shift and it always ends with the same result. Everybody in the house is dead. Throughout, Lily keeps trying to get him through it. Every time he comes back to the, quote, real world, it's either Bonnie there or Stefan there, and inevitably the reality cracks and it's clear, 
oh no, this you're still in the stone. And a key thing about it too is to get back to waking up on the battlefield, he has to kill whoever's accosting him in the real world. So he has to stake Stefan at some point to like wake up on the battlefield again and run it one more time. It was like a, a simulation. He decides instead of trying to solve the like soldier situation, he's just gonna desert. He's just gonna walk a straight line from the army place, the army encampment to his home, the old Salvatore Manor. And when he does that, he encounters Lily waiting for him at the house. <laughs> and then she's like checking windows, checking doors. The house doesn't look like the Salvatore house. It's the same house as where he found those three women that were hiding the Union soldiers. And she's like, you have to hide. The Confederates are coming, you need to be safe. So she puts him in the larder and Stefan's waiting for him. And now Stefan's the one who's like talking him through. They're coming for you. Oh, there they are. They've brought out the guns and then some shootings happening. The same scenario is taking place, except now he's down here and not out there. At the end of it, it's like you need to confront it. The reality of your actions and the very last Phoenix Stone dream. He wakes up on the battlefield and his mother is trapped under a cart. She's like rolled over, she's bloodied, she's like her leg is broken and she's begging him for help. He's still keeping up the, I'm not going to be fooled by this. But then at some point she starts to cry out and she's clearly like about to die. And then he moves forward, like his face turns and he like goes to try and help lift the cart off of her. But he's a human at this point, so he's struggling to lift it. And his mother's just there she's getting quieter she's dying and there's nothing he can do and so he kneels down beside her and he apologizes he's like i'm sorry i'm sorry i couldn't help you and he starts saying all the stuff that you assume he would have said if he wasn't so upset at her actual funeral and then he wakes up everybody's waiting for him and he's like, no, send me back. You have to send me back. Because he's woken up with a stone and he's woken up in this reality multiple times. So he's like, no, I have to go back. But the thing is, now it's real. <laughs> now he's actually been brought back and he thinks he's still in the stone. So he's looking to everybody. Bonnie's here, Matt's here, Caroline's here, Stefan's here. And he's like, no, you have to send me back. I have to go back. It's okay. All I have to do. And then he starts grabbing something. He stabs Stefan. He turns around. He throws a piece of wood into Caroline's chest. He knocks Matt the heck out. He grabs a fire poker and he pushes Bonnie against the wall, pressing the fire poker against her throat and like pushing it up and down, trying to choke her out. Her head's already bashed against the wall. When she falls to the ground unconscious, there is a huge blood splatter on the wall. Everyone's down. Everyone's like a moment from death. And he looks around and he's like, why didn't I go back? Then he realizes like, oh no. And the episode ends. It is the best Damon episode in this whole show. The whole show. Because maybe it's the absence of Elena, right? Maybe it's the thing you said earlier where it's like, there's no one in the Phoenix Stone there to apologize for him or to make excuses for him or to push away the reality of who Damon is and what Damon does. And so he has no choice but to be right up against it. And the stuff that he does is not linked to Elena in any way. It's his 1864 right. stuff. It's the lily of it all. So yeah, that, that might be why it's... It's, it's pre-vampire. <laughs> it's like all Damon. There's no option available anymore in the typical fashion to be like, well, Damon's a vampire. 
Damon is in love with Elena. Damon has his humanity off. This is 24-year-old Damon human confederate soldier. Through, listen, an escalating situation, but at the end of the day, he was there to do something. Massacres like five people. And there's no avoiding it. And then also tagged on to that, he has to confront the reality of he let his mother die without actually telling her what he feels. And now that's going to haunt him forever. Yeah. It's like we've said, of all the various facets of Damon Salvatore, one of the most irritating and painful ones is the whole Delena thing. It's the, oh, this is the person we're supposed to root for. This is the other love interest. This is the end game. Once that falls away... And it's difficult because season seven starts off with everything. It's like, oh, you must do it for Elena. What would Elena think? You're trying to write by Elena. <laughs> Once that falls away, it's a lot more interesting to watch Damon try to redeem himself when he doesn't, as you say, have his main cheerleader rooting for him in the, in the corner and <laughs> giving every mistake he makes. And Damon has been through things like the previous season with the, oh, the worst thing you ever did. You murdered the pregnant woman. He's been through things like that before. And he will go through things like that again in season eight with the whole yeah. hell and devil thing. But I think this, this episode, as you say, it's one of the best. Well, you said it was the best one. I, I'll say one of the best. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe I should be more clear and say it's my favorite one. It's your favorite Damon episode. And I can, I can see why. And I do think it is the absence of Elena. The absence of <laughs> Damon is in the story to be a love interest to this protagonist, Elena Gilbert. When you take that away, Damon is a much more interesting character. And the bad things he does can be dealt with a lot more honestly. Because you're not trying to lie to yourself and to the audience that this is a good boyfriend. Now we can handle this is a soldier who made bad decisions in the heat of war. This is a scorned, hurt child who did something bad to his mother because she had done something bad to him. And now he regrets it. This is a brother who cares for his brother and is doing awful things to try and get back to him. It's I'm more interested in these aspects because I can negotiate with these. And they're not like swept away because of the nature of the phoenix stone because of the nature of the episode they're trying to do we're directly dealing with the ramifications of that instead of shying away from them or pretending that it's fine it's like this is the most honest i should also say damon episode and at the end right because at the end he then like mutilates like four of his friends and i can't even like be like damon a monster because truly he is broken in that moment by this experience and you can't really blame him also they survive at the end next episode <laughs> gives a bunch of people vampire blood pulls things out of people they're fine but like Unlike every other thing, I don't think I have it on the rap sheet for season seven because I'm like, I can't blame Damon for that. That was a harrowing experience that he woke up from with his mind altered and he attacked a bunch of people in the spur of the moment thinking it would help him get back to try and solve this problem. It's, it's a testament to how well the circular enclosed episode is done that something so violent he does at the end of the episode, I, it doesn't even occur to me to be like... Jesus, Damon, because that was a direct result of dealing with that trauma. Yeah. Damon and Elena as as characters are at their best when they're not, when they're together. not together. And I must give credit to Nina Dobra for stepping away from the show because absolutely, if she had been here, this arc would have been tied to her in some way. Damon being trapped in this hellscape would have, it would have been something about Elena and Stefan working you together know. to get him out. And Elena telling him that he's a good person and it's okay and, and Lily would understand. And I've lost a mother too and I also had a bad <laughs> biological mother. <laughs> They chain him up after that. 
Stefan has to talk him down. Unfortunately, Stefan dealing with his own trauma from the stone, which I understand that like it need it needed to take a backseat for the moment because the Damon stuff was a lot juicier. Of the two of them going into that stone, because Stefan tortures himself enough already that it's like I don't think the stone could do anything to him that he didn't do already. <laughs> <laughs> Damon's the one who needed to like have the arc here. And I can't remember if it carries through the rest of season seven. I doubt it does, because at the end of the day right it's still the vampire diaries but for this enclosed episode i liked it and then afterwards they deal with oh what did stefan go through that's a story for another day stefan's like this ain't my first rodeo yeah yeah oh the thing i wanted to say about henry when he came back henry in that sequence of events which we must assume then it's something he said in the memory because it's before damon can make any different decisions along the route of the phoenix dream when Damon tells Henry what they're doing, Henry's like, oh, wow, deserters. And he's just asking Damon's opinion on deserters in general. And he's like, well, I believe if they were principled enough to do anything they can to follow their like morals and their, their ideals, then I say good on them. So, you know, Confederate soldier Henry Wattles, yes. <laughs> but also he was like, I mean, listen, if a guy's like, I don't think the Confederate's doing good stuff and he leaves because of it, that's a man with integrity. So, I don't know. Henry Waddle's largely unimportant character, but just a little. He just wanted to go home to his sweetheart. Yeah, he wanted to go to his, his girl waiting for him back home. Outside of the Confederate stuff, Henry Waddle seems like a really sweet, genuine dude. <laughs> he seems, I felt bad when Alaric, along with David, kills killed him. him yeah. One, even then, he seemed nice. It's interesting that that scene... I guess they hadn't decided his backstory yet, but when Damon sees Henry in the 21st century, and this is after the tomb has been opened, he says, you were in the tomb. And then Henry speaks about knowing Damon, and I'm just like, strange that you didn't say, you were in the army with me when you were both still human. <laughs> but I guess, I guess you could say it's just Damon's way of being like, oh, the tomb must be fully open now if you are out. He's so sweet and short, and he's just, <laughs> he's so, he's just a little gumdrop. <laughs> and he didn't even—he didn't even seem bad. He was just like, "Oh, um, who was it? Catherine or Isabel? Someone had been. Oh, it was it John was Gilbert. John. He was like, he's been yes. helping me. Like, he got me a phone. And I was like, he's not even hurting anybody. He's, he's look not at even my little with, cell phone. <laughs> he's not even with Frederick and the other baddies who are staying. Yeah. In the <laughs> I'll say about Henry: if we are forced to excuse a Confederate vampire of the confederate vampires we're constantly meeting in fiction, <laughs> Henry's the one. If there has to be one, it's Henry Wattles. I don't know. Maybe I'll get cancelled for that one. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, he's still signed up. He's still signed up. <laughs> I don't know. There's some, like, the way I understand it, there's some, like, southern families who were genuinely, like, while we're fighting for the South, you know, at the end of the day, the Confederacy were fighting to enslave black people. But also there are some people who are genuinely like, I think, I don't know. I don't know enough about the minutiae of US politics in the late 1800s. But the idea that especially your poorer Southern white families who are like, we don't trust the government because you get that today, too, where it's like we were talking about this, too, about I think this was off the podcast, but we we're talking about the Maxwells and the Bennetts and about Matt and Bonnie, where there is this parallelism between just black people in general in some parts of America and then poor white people in some parts of America. A parallelism that is rarely employed to the benefit of all because more often than not, 
whiteness is chosen before the solidarity of poverty, right? Yeah. But there is this sense that, like, it's Black Jeopardy, right? Have you seen that SNL skit with Tom Hanks? I have. <laughs> so, so there's that SNL skit, Black Jeopardy, where Tom Hanks plays the Southern hick. And obviously, the whole joke of Black Jeopardy is that, like, it's like Jeopardy, but it's stuff that Black Americans would know. And he answers every question correctly because there's a parallelism between poor Southern white folk and Black people. But at the end of the skit, he says something that's just typically bigoted. And then it's like, ah, well, we've got to wrap it up now. The, the fun was had. And right at the end, you ruined it. And that's the sense I get about like, like just poor Southern white families in general. And so I guess it can be applied in that sense to Henry if we are being generous. But he did still sign up for the Confederacy at the end of the day. So, you know, I was just saying if we have to, if we're forced to at gunpoint. To forgive one. We never find out how Henry dies and then turns. No. Just assumedly in war. I don't know which vampire would have turned him. Maybe he didn't die in war. Maybe Damon turned him. No, Damon couldn't have turned him. He was in the tomb. He was in the tomb, yeah. Because we know Harper vaguely describes having been, you know, left to die on a battlefield. Harper could have been in the, a Union soldier or a Confederate soldier who was forced. We don't know. But Pearl personally... Was it Harper him. and Henry who were dead in the same, like, conflict? And then they were, like, across the battlefield <laughs> from each other. And Pearl saved Imagine one and Catherine Pearl saved turned- the other. <laughs> Either Pearl turned them both. Or Pearl and Catherine were like, let's have some fun and save some of the... I can picture Catherine doing that. Pearl was like, if we have to do this, I'm choosing the POC. Yeah, like... Listen, girly. Anyway, we've we've hopped on too long about Henry Wattles, a character who appears three times. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, after the Phoenix Stone stuff, it starts to become a blind spot for me, honestly, season seven. This is when... Once the heretics are no longer, like, a big issue, the huntress comes to town. Raina Cruz. Her actress looks a bit like Nina Dobrev, so... Does she really? A, a bit. Like, in, enough that you could be like, oh, yeah, I can, I can see why it's worth mentioning. To the point where Damon says to her, you look a lot like my girlfriend and her, and her doppelganger. I guess. <laughs> I found it funny that he felt the need to mention the doppelgangers. Yeah, I guess now that I'm looking at her picture around the eyes... And nose especially. Wow, I never if noticed you, if that. If you told me that was Nina's cousin, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I see it. <laughs> That's, wow. This is a revelation for me. Also, Raina rhymes with Elena, so. <laughs> well, you know, Brie and Lee. We've been known to do this game before. <laughs> the only important things I remember about Damon in season seven are one, the stuff towards the end with Bonnie and Enzo, right? This is in the flash forward, I guess. No, Bonnie and Enzo are already vibing in present day. This is when Bonnie's magic has been stripped away by those pills. Because they were going in to like find a St. John or something. I truly can't remember. They were made with Reyna's blood. And apparently anyone who ingests her blood is just like terminal at that point. They're going to die for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. Bonnie's dying. And so they make a deal with Reyna to be like, if we take care, because at this point, the Phoenix Stone exploded. We've had a third Thelma and Louise with (laughs) um, Mary Lou and Nora who drive off and explode. (laughs) And the Phoenix Stone explodes with them. And so these vampire souls that were trapped in there have all been scattered. Reyna's like, on her last life, she has these lives that allow her to continue, like, even when she's killed. And she has this list that she's building because she can psychically sense where they've all gone. And they're like, if we finish your list for you, 
will you give over your last life to Bonnie so she can continue living? She's like, all right. So they become agents of Reyna. They go around executing vampires indiscriminately. I think they encounter Bo. We spoke about this in the Bo killer bite. They find Bo in a different body and he's like, it's me, Bo, the person who helped deliver Caroline's babies. The heretic who largely hasn't caused any problems. Damon's like, well, he's on the list, so we're going to kill him. And Bonnie's like, no. And Damon's like, what are you going to do? Rips his heart out. So that's the one thing I remember. <laughs> and the other thing is that... <sighs> In order to protect Damon, Stefan has to like shove him out of the way and get marked by the Phoenix Sword. I can't remember the specifics, but Damon was enacting some stupid plan and Stefan has to rescue him and he gets marked by the sword and then he has to go on the run. And so for the three years of the flash forward, Stefan is just on the run. He has to leave Caroline behind at a critical moment because Caroline is like... She's just had these babies. He has to call her up and be like, I'm sorry. Damon goofed up and now I have to run from the Huntress. And Damon's like, I had a plan. And it's like, Damon, your plan was dumb. And this is your fault. It's not entirely his fault. Stefan was always going to do that anyway. But like, I just, it was just at the end of a long line of things that just like, anyway, yeah, that's. I can't think of anything else in season seven that he does that's important. I guess at the end, they go and they release the siren. <laughs> <laughs> that's really it. There's the armory thing, which is yeah. so terribly exciting. We learn that Enzo has a last name. <laughs> yeah, he comes from a long line of St. John's. So that's nice. We learn that like everybody in this show who isn't Alaric, Enzo is descended from some important family who's linked to something magical. <laughs> Oh, man. And there's some monster inside this vault that he and Damon let out. Is Enzo and Damon's friendship even important in season seven? I wish I could say yes, but no. I think both Enzo and Bonnie are in a place where it's like, well, you were supposed to be our friend, but it turns out you always make selfish choices to serve yourself and the people you actually care about. And we can't be about that anymore. And it's because of Bonnie dying that they've made a truce with him to like take care of Reyna's list so yeah I guess that's important Damon had in a drunken stupor I guess thought he burned Elena's coffin and then was just gonna like leave this mortal coil on purpose and left a letter behind and didn't tell anybody and Bonnie was especially pissed about it and then they weren't talking I don't super care about any of that but you know <laughs> fair there's that he kills Tyler Lockwood this season you know that no, he kills him in season no, eight. No, he doesn't. <laughs> That's later. That's in what is arguably the worst season of Avatar. <laughs> And that's saying something because you know I don't like season five. He does beat up Tyler, though, to try and get the coffin back because Tyler's holding on to Elena's coffin. And Damon, in, I guess, a moment of weakness was like, no, I need Elena with me. And uh, Tyler's like, no, dude. And so he's like, why do you think you would be able to stop me? And starts beating Tyler and bashing his head into the ground. And then he takes the coffin. I think he's still dealing with, like, the post-Phoenix Stone stuff. Because even after the Phoenix Stone, you remember Julian was a little bit off. Stefan's proving to be a little bit off they're seeing things that aren't there and so i think he accidentally sets fire to elena's coffin <laughs> or he thinks he does henry's there coaching him to do it <laughs> but it's not actual henry so he can't be held responsible it's that psptsd that's a, a phrase i've just coined phoenix stone ptsd <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think the DSM-5 will accept that. <laughs> I think in that episode, he realizes he didn't actually burn it. So I don't know why. I guess he decides to go into a deep, desiccated sleep rather than kill himself. And then Stefan wakes him up in the future to be like, wake up, bozo. I need your help. I'm still on the run for you, remember? Yeah, so season seven, <laughs> the rap sheet. Unless you have anything else for season seven that's super No. Important. I only have half a rap sheet because, again, the back half of the season, I truly, I was like, none of this matters. Consider letting Bonnie get hit by a car so Elena will wake up. <laughs> <laughs> and he kills Malcolm the heretic in the first episode. Episode three, he hides from Bonnie that Rick kept the Phoenix Stone, even though it was hurting her. So he also has the goal to be like, don't put me in the middle of this. This isn't my problem. And it's like, well, it is if Bonnie's supposed to be your friend. I don't know if you know how friendship works. Episode six, he... Reveals to Julian that Stefan's trying to kill him, putting Stefan in danger. Episode 7, he kills Julian, or tries to kill Julian, knowing that it'll kill Lily Salvatore. Episode 8, tells his mother something awful just before she died. <laughs> uh, episode 10, he kills two Confederate deserters and the three women who gave them safe housing. He then covered it up when he returned to the Confederate army. And in present day... <laughs> After they've, he's managed to bring everyone back and they've chained him to the wall to be like, just to be safe. He's like, they were deserters, so I wasn't wrong for that. <laughs> it's like, okay, so you're not that ashamed about the Confederate Army then. <laughs> if you're like, yeah, they deserted the army, so it was fine. Episode 11 threatens Tyler to take him to Elena's coffin and then bashes Tyler's head repeatedly into the ground. Episode 12, he kills one of Julian's vampires. And that's all I've written down. I guess I just stopped halfway because I was like, what's the point anymore? <laughs> what does it matter? Fair enough. We're going, as the show came to an end, Damon is definitely one of the characters whose nonsense became less interesting to me. By then, I was more invested in Rick and Joe's babies slash Caroline's babies. Yeah. That awkward dynamic once Stefford came back and it's like, well, now she's married to Rick. So like, <laughs> what's going on there? It was, oh, we can discuss that in a Rick and Caroline episode. Another time. But yeah, that's still, as weird as all that was, that was far more interesting than anything else. I didn't care for the St. John stuff. I didn't care for the armory. I thought it was weird and dumb. I think I liked Raina Cruz. I liked all of that going on. And then the who, the what, the what it does to you at the end of the season, the <laughs> siren is released. <laughs> Season 8, as you know, if you've heard the Sybil and Celine episode, you know, Damon spends most of this season under the thrall of the Siren. So, it's kind of tough to negotiate, okay, how much is Damon and how much isn't. His humanity's also off, which you know they love. I'm inclined to be like, I don't need any more fuel for the fire I've been building here. I think my fire's big enough. So, I, I'm fine to just be like... Season 8 across the board, he was being controlled by a siren. He was being controlled by a siren, he turned off his humanity, and then he murdered Tyler Lockwood. I yeah. will never forgive that, I will never skim <laughs> over it. It is, in my books, one of the worst things Damon's done. And not even because I think Damon thought Tyler was important, quite the opposite. He doesn't care about Tyler, and most of the people who love Tyler aren't important to him, because Tyler's not that close to Elena. They don't even have that many scenes, just the two of them. <sighs> Stefan cares about Tyler the way that he cares about most people. He's yeah. just naturally compassionate and would not wish harm on him. He would prefer people not to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bonnie and Rick, also not that close to Tyler. So it's like, okay, Matt, 
who he actively dislikes, Caroline, who there's a mutual hatred there that never really went away. <laughs> and yet I know that the writer has used the death of Tyler Lockwood to show us for the umpteenth time that Damon has gone off the deep end. Damon is so, so bad now. This is terrible. Elena may never forgive him. Yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, you didn't need to do this because A, I know you're going to undo it by the end of the season and everyone will be fine. B, Using Tyler, of all people, as a sacrificial lamb, he's not really, he's not the person in the group who's friends with most of the people in the group. <laughs> yeah, we discussed in the Siren episode of, like, this several, Matt, Bonnie, if that was the intent, it's like, Tyler? I think it was just because Michael, Michael Trevino, Tyler's actor, had left the show at that point, and they were yeah. like, yeah, he's not, he's not here anymore, let's bring him back as a sacrificial lamb, because we don't have the gall to let Damon murder Jeremy, and then pretend like Elena would ever wake up and be okay with that. Yeah, that's true. It's always going just far enough, but not far enough that it actually means anything. That's always the case. Yeah. It's always, we're always going to pull it back right at the end, even though we're trying to be like, he does such awful things. Well, does, why, why does everybody just forgive him at the end? Why is everybody just okay with it? I don't know. Is there anything particular that happens in season eight that we haven't touched on in the Siren episode? I guess we, we stopped when Sybil and Celine burst into flames. Yes. <laughs> yes, of course. Which still, still tickles me because it's just such a campy scene. <laughs> They're like sitting there slowly getting hotter and smoking in front of Kate. <laughs> and Kate's just sipping a milkshake. <laughs> ah. It's like this slow, gradual like buildup of heat like they're ants under a magnifying glass. And then they just combust. <sighs> and it's like, damn, Kate, you didn't need to do all that. That was a lot, my guy. But just, yeah, Damon spends the rest of that season trying to negotiate his way out of hell, being willing to become a servant of the devil, Cade. I guess eventually hell starts leaking and people come out, but I think that's after Cade is defeated. And then we learn that the <laughs> season eight final boss <laughs> is Catherine <Pierce. laughs> We learn through Kai, who has returned at that point from hell. I do like, even though it felt, it felt very strange to have like, oh, the devil is the antagonist this season. Like the ultimate evil in the eyes of most people in the Western world, if you're looking at it through like a Christian lens. Yeah. Um, or at least, you know, figuratively using the word devil. Like it's like, oh, it's like this very evil. And then it's like, psych, he's not actually the final boss. The final boss is Catherine Pierce. <laughs> The true evil. <laughs> I'm like, she was terrible. And I know she's very important to Stefan and Damon's stories. And they are now our two protagonists. But it just, it was very strange to me that it was like, oh yeah, Catherine is the final evil that must be defeated for this group. <laughs> like, I was like, really? I don't think she's done enough to deserve that. But I guess the emotional hold that she has over the Salvatore brothers makes it more poetic yeah simply because i don't remember how is it exactly that she was pulling the strings of the devil do they ever explain that or do they just assume you'll accept it because it's catherine pierce they do explain it i can't remember it very well i think it's essentially while she was in hell she was manipulating cade by whispering into his ear that you know who'd be great for you the salvador <laughs> brothers you should get them because once damon runs into catherine in the very last episode he questions the Kate of it all and he's like what was going on there you were the one puppeteering this the entire time and Catherine goes duh why do you think he wanted you because I wanted you <laughs> <laughs> okay 
Isn't Kate psychic? Isn't that like his whole deal? He is, but I guess Catherine is such a great liar. She can fool the psychic devil. Sure, why not? Because she was also trying to usurp Cade so that she could leave hell. That's how she eventually ropes Vicky and Kelly Donovan into working for her. She's able to send Kai with a little message and it's like, I don't know how <laughs> she... <laughs> Only Catherine Pierce could organize a coup in hell. <laughs> Has she been watching from Cade's psychic dimension? How? Why is she allowed that? There's <laughs> so many questions about this. Maybe I should rewatch season eight and formulate my own opinions. Maybe that's the solution here. But I truly am just like, this seems like unreasonably <laughs> laid out. And that's I why I say it seems like a strange thing for Catherine Pierce to accomplish. She was ours. Season two first boss, not even the final boss of season two. Like, not to doubt her capability, but at the end of the day, she's a 500 year old vampire. There have been so many far more powerful beings that have been introduced. And it's we like, know for a fact Silas that Silas is not in hell. hell. Yeah. Silas is definitely in hell. Silas, who's perfectly, you know, strong enough and smart enough to do something like that. And actually, like, well, he's not a psychic anymore. He's a witch at that point. But it's like, I believe he'd be more able to do it than Catherine. It's odd. But, you know, Nina Dobrev got to come back. So that's fun. That's great. I know that initially she was supposed to be there for many more season eight episodes. And that ended up not being possible. So that might also have factored into how Catherine was written. There just wasn't enough time. Yeah, maybe she would have been around for a while. And her motivations and the sway she supposedly had over what was going on in hell would have been a bit clearer. But as it stands, she comes back and decides she's going to destroy the town with hellfire. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to assume free herself along with the Donovan ladies from hell. I like that Catherine is brought back and once again, she's going to screw over Mystic Falls. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you, unlike everybody else who's obsessed with this town for the, for the sake of staying here, you're like, no, I'm obsessed with ruining this town. I hate this place. <laughs> All you other bitches are always trying to live here. I'm trying to tear this shit down. <laughs> Oh, love her. So, yeah, I guess he's involved in that plot. And when they win, he also wins by association. So, yeah, Catherine, Catherine makes Elena's body go missing. Damon fights with her for a bit because of the weird hell thing. Everybody who is from hell and is now out is in a body that can't be permanently killed. I think once whatever plan she has concocted is complete, she will be able to stay in the world of the living permanently, which is why Vicky and Kelly are working with her. But Damon like repeatedly kills her and it doesn't take because obviously now she's she's not alive. She's just like a corporeal hell spirit. Eventually, Stefan takes the cure out of Elena and then takes it himself, then gives it to Damon. <laughs> Oh, yeah. this is when this shit starts. No, but Stefan was cured earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Someone who... Because Bonnie... Bon Bonnie After cures Stephen Stephen kills to save Enzo yes, with his yes. humanity off, Bonnie shoves the cure in him to save herself. And he wakes up. So he's human for like six episodes at least. It's crazy how early he's human again. Stefan is human and he's a good boy again. And then Aww. that's why he makes the ultimate sacrifice to be like, you know what? I'm yeah. going to save Damon because obviously it was always meant to be Damon taking this cure with Elena. <sighs> Rolls eyes. And then Stefan's like, I know that once the cure is out of me and in Damon because of how this cure 
works, which is never really explained, I will start to age and die, and that's why he decides to sacrifice himself to make sure that Catherine is still by the hellfire when it blows. <laughs> he pins her down as Barney <laughs> releases the hellfire through the corridors. It's... Ah! God, Stefan. Also, Catherine, because she died as a cured traveler, is not... She has no vampire powers when she comes back from hell. Mm, that's why she's she just a girl. To hold her down. Yeah. I wish she could have done a little bit of magic. <laughs> I guess she's alone. I guess she never learned. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's nice that for the sake of Catherine and the Salvatores, this is like a, a nice ending for their story. That Stefan takes her down. He was the one she screwed over Every more time. than anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Even when, because you said last session that Stefan got to dagger, and I was like, yeah, as he should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he got more screwed in that situation. I think he even echoes what she said to him before she died in Elena's body when she was passenger. That she ba- he basically says, this is the end of our story. Mm. And it's like, yeah, the series was never really supposed to be about the Salvadors and Catherine. But, <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> we can't pretend she isn't a huge part of, of why each of them is the way they are and why everything happened the way it did. Even for Damon, who gets to live happily ever after with Elena. I guess, in a way, it's fitting that Catherine is like the final thing he has to overcome. The person who, you could make an argument, corrupted him. Sure. I wouldn't make that argument, but I know others might. (laughs) And set him down this path. I can't even tell you, I'm in a headspace right now where you said that, and I didn't think anything about it. (laughs) I didn't question it. I accepted it. I'm so zen right now. I just, something shifted like 10 minutes ago and I truly have just achieved nirvana and I'm so above any such assertions. I'm doing great. Well, with regards to defeating the final evil, Damon is now human, Catherine is gone and it's like, oh, the, the vampire, the person who set him down this path is gone for good and he is now cured for good and they all live happily ever after. The thing I put a pin in earlier, uh-huh. which you mentioned about, are we supposed to believe Damon is really going to enjoy being human? There'll never be any resentment. He and Elena just ride off into the sunset. I don't know because interestingly, when the series ends, and we see, you know, Nina Dobrev with her bob. Yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> <the> bob. <laughs> she's walking off with human Damon, and then eventually, where we are led to believe they die at some point in their human lives, and each of them enters heaven, the afterlife, peace, whatever you want to call it, looking relatively young for whatever reason. And Elena, the way that scene is shot, she's walking, she lets go of Damon's hand. And then goes into the afterlife where she finds Aunt Jenna, Uncle Biological Father John, (laughs) Mama and Papa Gilbert. And Damon goes off his own way in a different scene and then finds Stefan at the Heavenly Salvatore house. So I'm like, you could possibly read into that that maybe Damon and Elena didn't stay together forever. At the very least. But they died at the same time? No, maybe they didn't die at the same time. She lets go of his hand and we don't see him until her scene with her family is done. Then we shift to wherever the hell Damon has gone, and then it's, oh, the Salvatore house where Stefan is. So, at the very least, we know for a fact their idea of paradise is not with each other. And I think that's a really interesting thing for them to go out of their way to show when this was the couple that was endgame. But we also know that Julie Plex's little fantasy that she'd been working with in the initial seasons was that in the end, Elena will end up with neither of the Salvatore brothers. Her true love will be someone else. So, perhaps... That was her allowing an ambiguous interpretation that maybe that did eventually happen. That eventually Elena was like, you know what, Damon? (laughs) Actually. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you're saying, hold on, let me let me see if I can understand. They're dead at the point that they're holding hands that you're talking about. They are spirits walking into the afterlife. I think it's it's supposed to be they are walking into the rest of their lives and then it's like transitioning into eventually the rest of their lives is they die and then go their separate ways. But it's like, because it's all one continuous shot, it's like, at what point did they go their separate ways? Did they die first and then go off to separate afterlives? Or were they not together when they died? I mean, the separate afterlives thing, we are kind of making that assumption because for the sake of cinematography, there are groups of people that are isolated in certain places. But I don't know if we can say for certain that that means they won't see each other after that. It could truly be a moment of we both have dead people that we want to see immediately now that we've died here at 80 in our bed like the notebook <laughs> so i'm gonna go see my family you're gonna go see your family and then we're gonna barbecue in like 20 heaven hours so that's also an option i guess that's fair also their, their heavens both look like mystic falls and i'm like damn even when you guys die you can't let this <sighs> place go end of the road they will not leave that town but yeah yeah thanks to bonnie's level up as a witch again, I'll have to go find out how she got her powers back because they were like she gets psychic, psychic powers thing. back, and then all of a sudden she's a witch, and it's like okay, she's just a witch again. She's like, I figured it out. Don't worry too much about it. I I solved the problem, and now I'm going to Africa. So <laughs> the Africa. Welcome back to the living, girly pop. <laughs> so. <laughs> Thanks to Bonnie waking, breaking the Sleeping Beauty spell, they do get to be reunited in their mortal lives and live for however long they lived and then die and then go to peace. Both of them. Damon made it to peace. <sighs> and good for him. Damon made it to peace, but... But Vicky Donovan went to hell. Vicky Donovan, to be fair, she went to hell because the other side was collapsing. Also, is hell even around with Kate dead? Frankly, how did it keep going, considering it was his psychic dimension? I, I don't know. Also, with the release of the hellfire, does hell cease to exist? Or was it just fire coming into our world and then it ended and now there's just a closed dimension somewhere because then bonnie creates her own new psychic dimension and they're like there's two so it's not like hell is gone she puts kai in there by himself i don't know where everyone else would be but wait then is the one that has enzo in there a third one? Oh yeah enzo is because this it seems to be enzo's just attached to her now i have to assume at some point she lets enzo go because he's not like haunting her when she goes to africa <laughs> He is! He is? When she looks at her her little pamphlet to be like, I'm going to Africa. But I don't, I don't think that's the psychic uh, dimension because we see something similar with Matt who's being watched over by Vicky and Tyler. Oh, yeah, they can just watch from peace, I guess. I assume that was Matt dead. And in his death, he was a police officer. Vicky gets to go to peace. <laughs> yeah, good for her, I guess. So then I must assume that well, I guess hell doesn't have any... Because it's not a real hell at the end of the day, is it? It's just a little psychic That's, bubble. The whole hell thing is lost because it was just Kate going, Yoink, you're coming to my psychic dimension. And without that, they're not going to go there. So maybe they just all automatically go to peace now as they were meant to as people. And Kate was just being a little bitch. <laughs> like, I don't... That's the canon of the TVD universe now. No matter how awful you are in life, now that Kate is no longer around, when you die, you get to go to heaven. You find peace. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm coming around on it because it's like, I don't... <sighs> Who among us, you know? 
<laughs> just I don't want to. I'm not to imply that all awful things are equivalent, but like I certainly don't believe one man who was wrong should get to decide who does and who doesn't make it to peace. And also, it's like maybe in peace you are able to reckon with whatever went wrong within you to make you an awful person in life, and now you can like come away from that. I don't know. Kate is like Malachi Parker butchered his siblings when they were children, murdered his twin sister and tried to kill her unborn babies. You're going to hell. Kelly Donovan, absentee mom. You're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> the same hell. Because we're never told there's levels. Mm. Even, even Sybil, it's like you ate human flesh because you were tricked into doing it and then you tried to kill yourself when you realized with horror and To never and eat human flesh again. <laughs> hell. You're going to hell. Vicky Donovan, you didn't manage to save your brother enough times in real life before your purgatory disappeared from reality. Hell. Hell. Why does he just get to decide? Kate is harsher than the Abrahamic God. <laughs> right. I guess at this point, I don't have a rap sheet for season eight because, again, he's under the siren spell most of the time. I can't, also can't keep track of how many people he's killed that season because it's a lot. Yeah. So I guess we can just kind of do a post-mortem on Damon at this point. I, I'm going to go off for a little bit and I'm, I'm going to ask you to just let me while I kind of, because I wrote down some thoughts. Feel free. Because here's what happened, right? Because I have to re-listen to these when I'm editing them. And so I have, I suppose, the benefit in a moment of calmness and when I'm not in the middle of it, emotional, frustrated, <laughs> furious. I have a moment to like look back on the things I've said and be like, okay, were we being fair the whole time? And I don't need to be fair all the time. I'm a person with opinions and biases, you know? But <laughs> at the same time, because we're making a whole thing of this and because, like like I said, this is supposed to be a trial, this will be me attempting to sort of peel away at this whole thing as the defense counsel to try and understand. Why is it that I feel, again, I'll speak for myself. I can't speak for you, Fazai. Why I feel that Damon Salvatore is just so irrevocably the worst in a way that's not appreciated both by the show and by the people who watch the show. Like I said, looking back on the last two sessions, looking back on notes I've made and just reflecting internally at the topmost level, I personally don't like Damon, right? I, as a matter of taste and as a matter of me, Sandy the human being, I look at Damon's character and I go, me, I don't like that guy. His personality, most of the time, just doesn't gel with me. Peeling that away, I'll go, you don't need to like a character. And how much you do or don't like a character doesn't necessarily affect whether they're a good or interesting character. Yeah. I, as a person, when I don't catch myself, can be a little moralistic when it comes to fictional characters. And when that comes to a show like The Vampire Diaries, that can be a bit problematic when you're doing like analysis or character study or whatever. That said, there's a ton of characters on this show that are on a level with Damon in terms of the number of people they kill or the violences they perpetrate, whatever. And I don't think I dislike anyone the way that I do Damon. We've been talking about Catherine a lot through this episode. And like you say, Catherine is a villain. Catherine does so many bad things. But I love Catherine. Catherine's fascinating to watch. Catherine's entertaining. Catherine at times is sympathetic. And there's Klaus, 
who I don't particularly love, but I think he's an interesting character. Also, at some point, sympathetic. We're talking about the originals where he becomes a protagonist. I think the study of Klaus shines in that show in a way that it doesn't in The Vampire Diaries. And these are our villains, right? <laughs> these are villains that I do not dislike as much as I dislike Damon. At the end of the day, Damon's presented as a protagonist for like 75% of the show. And you can be the archetype that Damon Salvatore is and still be a protagonist. Albeit that means some chafing against some of the other protagonists around you who are just like not on the level that you are. But like on the level that Damon is versus other archetypes of this type, you would think that there's a breaking point that would come about. And sometimes there is, but it never lasts. It never lasts. Yeah. It's always back to status quo with Damon. So you then have to assume, okay, all the main characters are just okay with having this guy around. He's consistently just the worst and sucks and doing things we aren't happy about. And then that spirals out into what that means for these characters as people, right? That are just willing to be in community and in concert with this person. So that's a, a road I just, it's no worth walking down. There is this quote that I saw on Twitter. I don't remember the, <laughs> the Twitter handle, and I don't know if they were quoting someone else. But they said, A villain can kill a billion people and still be redeemed. An asshole, however, is a crime against the audience for which there is no forgiveness. Obviously, in this quote, you have to substitute audience for Sandile. <laughs> Frankly... Most of the audience loves Damon. That's also the thing that's been frustrating and a little bit isolating and alienating in watching this show is that everyone I run into, everyone I see online just seems to love Damon Salvatore in a way that makes me feel like I might be insane. Also, killing a billion people, maybe that's a pretty high number. <laughs> this is a direct quote. I don't know if I'd be down with just like forgiving someone who killed a billion people. There is a low-key discussion that needs to be had, but that's more complicated and that's outside the purview of this, of this podcast. I think Damon is... An asshole in a very real way, in the callousness that he treats people, especially the people that are supposedly close to him, in the violence in his actions, particularly towards women, especially those he's meant to care about. And you can say all of that is because of vampirism, right? But also we've come across these instances where he was not a vampire and was still a human and was still just like, not a great dude. <laughs> And also, there are so many vampires in the show, young and old, who are simply not that. Who are not this thing that Damon is. And in a way, through the medium of television writing, the awfulness of Damon sometimes gets dialed up to a degree that's kind of ludicrous. Yes. You know, that kind of doesn't make sense when you're like the context of where we are in the story and like, why are we doing this? And so Damon as a character who isn't real at the end of the day, that can't really be held against him, you know, because there are people writing this person. But at the end of the day, that is the character presented to us. And so we just have to grapple with that. All this to say, I accept that in a considerable way, it is personal and it is a taste thing. But also, I think it is a text thing. And I don't think I'd be able... Maybe a lot of other people are just more willing to go with it for the sake of watching a show or enjoying a story, and that's fine. 
I don't want to say that, like, <laughs> I made this joke in a TikTok one time of, like, villain sexy, right? Because that is also an aspect of it in the text and outside of it is that a lot of people find Damon attractive and charming and alluring. And so it's like, does it really matter the bad things that he does? It feels insulting to say that, but that is generally how people approach characters in some it's ways. It's true. And that's, we, know, can, and we can be honest. A lot of the reason <laughs> yeah. that people excuse Damon's nonsense and the reason that they were going so far as to ship Klaus with Caroline is because the actors playing them are hot men. Right. It, it is what it is. That is a part of it. And so it's like, I don't know, maybe it's just because I, I don't think Ian Summerholder is an unattractive person, but I've never been attracted to Damon nor Klaus. Similarly with Joseph Morgan. So it's like, maybe that's what, maybe I, I don't want to say maybe I never fell under the spell. Because again, that feels insulting to say about people who are engaging with the show the same way we're engaging with the show. I don't want to say that like, oh, your mental faculties were altered by just the <laughs> immense attractiveness of this man. That feels silly. Well, I can, I can say as someone who found both of them very attractive uh-huh. and who does see something of the allure in the characters... It never left the forefront of my consciousness all the evil things that they had done and continued to do. I never sat back and said, no, but Damon isn't so bad because, no. I never said, <laughs> yeah. no, but Klaus paints pictures, so Caroline, no. I was like, Klaus is hot, but he's bad. In the same way that Nina Dobra plays Elena and she plays Catherine, and I would argue that for whatever reason, Catherine is just sexier than Elena, but she's she still <laughs> She is. And she's awful. <laughs> but even so, this is the thing, right? You bring up Catherine. Again, Catherine's a character where I can go, wow, she's so awful. But also she's so hot when she's doing it. I don't know what it is about Damon. There's just something about Damon. I, I guess it's as simple as we are not asked to root for Catherine. We can sympathize with her. We can understand her. But we, at the end of the day, we aren't saying, oh, I hope Catherine wins this season. Whereas that is what we are constantly asked to do for Damon, along with his friends. And that's why when Damon does things that we consider unforgivable, we're like, this is the person who's meant to be our fighter? Yeah, because <sighs> the show never goes villain sexy, right? You can go villain sexy about Catherine because the show doesn't do it. The show doesn't tell you that Catherine isn't hot. Clearly, she's pulling all these men, but like, it never goes... Excuse everything Catherine's done because she's a love interest of a character and she's just so hot and irresistible and so right for them. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I really, I'm sure we're going to come out at the end of this and there are going to be people who are just like, you're unfair to Damon, you're this and that to Damon, and I just want to make sure you understand. I know that I'm in the small camp. <laughs> I know that everybody else is not just okay with this character, loves this character. So it's very possible I just don't get it, and I'm okay with that. Like, my whole thing at the end of this was just like i'm gonna get my thoughts out they're gonna be recorded for history i might get some catharsis through it and then i'm leaving this behind because i don't think <laughs> i can argue with anyone about damon salvatore ever again <laughs> and that's okay i'm gonna preempt some criticism that i'm sure we'll get after we use Catherine and klaus as examples sure <laughs> i know some people will say but do you not root for Klaus in the original spin-off series? And I will say, I do. But A, Klaus is constantly faced with antagonists who do things even worse than he does <laughs> a lot of the time. 
And B, none of the characters in the show, whether they are on Klaus's side or against Klaus, ever treat Klaus like he's this sweet, misunderstood, sad boy who deep down is a good, compassionate person. Because we're always told that, you know, Damon loves Bonnie and Damon really cares about this town. He's protecting Mystic Falls because this is his home. Damon secretly wants to be human. All these things that it's like, ah, are you sure? Because that's not what I'm seeing. <laughs> the text doesn't lie to you about Klaus. The text doesn't shy away from Klaus's monstrosity. The text doesn't shy away when Klaus is awful to the people around him because then there is direct consequence to that. When Klaus makes choices that screw over the people that are on his side, they are then more likely to betray him and go and ally themselves with other people. I think this is what it is, is that the originals, and this is why I think on the whole people enjoyed the originals more than the Vampire Diaries. They are different in terms of their story mechanics. The Vampire Diaries is still your typical, like, we have our protagonists, we have the villains, and the protagonists are constantly trying to fight off against whoever the new villain is for the series and to try and like maintain and live their normal lives. Despite the fact that this show, more than other shows of its ilk, the morality will like, it's a sliding scale, we say it all the time. Whereas the originals is more of like, I mean, it's still a CW show at the end of the day, but it's more of like political intrigue. There are factions, there are alliances, there are our interests on multiple sides for as much as the Michelson family are the focus of the show they are one of many factions you more often than not root for the Michelsons because you spend the most time with them but also sometimes the Michelsons are the bad guys in scenarios a lot of times Klaus is the bad guy in scenarios as the main character of the show because you get characters like and I'm going to start talking because we have to for this this point to be made I'll mention a little bit of the, about the originals. So if you haven't seen the originals, you can skip ahead a few 15 seconds. You get characters like the Devereaux. You get characters like Marcel, who is an antagonist. But once you learn more about the dynamic of their relationships, sometimes you're rooting for Marcel. You get Davina. You get the Witches of the Quarter. You get Josh and Aiden by the time season two rolls around, where it's like there's a lot of characters who are getting screwed up. Jackson Kenner who shows up, who Haley and him start having a thing, and it's like Klaus becomes the antagonist for their situation, but you would much more root for them. It's more fluid in that show because I think it is a political intrigue. It's also almost like Shakespearean in its sense. They're like, there are various houses, all alike in dignity, and everybody is just acting. Everybody is just doing what they can to further their goals or to protect themselves, and nobody's always going to be good or bad. I think it works better in the originals than it does in the Vampire Diaries, where you're still like, these are our heroes. Yes. So I think that's the difference between Damon and Klaus. Uh, the originals, as much as even within the Michelson clan, there is a lot of backstabbing, a lot of abuse, a mm -hmm. lot of hurt. At the end of the day, we see them as they see each other, where it's like, we are this immortal, ancient incredibly powerful family who sees almost every other living being as beneath us anyway. Yeah. So at the end of the day, part of the reason why we always forgive each other is because we've been around a long time. We've been through a lot. We've experienced and survived a lot of trauma. And as Rebecca once says, when we compare ourselves to other people, we just think we're better than them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the way Greek gods see each other. 
in Greek mythology as compared to mortals. It's like, yeah, it's we're not great. that. Yeah. But we're, we're above the rest of you. So we're always going to put each other on a different level and be more willing to forgive and understand each other because what, are we going to hang with you guys? <laughs> no, please. Y'all disappear in the blink of an eye. That's the other thing too, is that like at the end of the day, they're the only beings in this world unless, you know, intervention will not die. Yeah. So they're all they've got. And I think with Damon as a sibling to Stefan, which is largely what his relation what, what the focus of his character becomes in the last two seasons, yeah. it works a lot better. I am much more willing to understand Stefan's tendency to forgive Damon and understand Damon and sympathize with Damon because I'm like, this is his brother with whom he's been through a lot. They've been alive a long time. They have both been vampires. Years. Yeah. yeah, and experience the the ups and downs of vampirism. And I can see why, as much as Stefan values human life, which is something that will always be in opposition to Damon's disdain for human life, Stefan is like, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm going to forgive you because I am seeing you through a different lens. Whereas when Elena does it, Elena who meets Damon as a human while he is a vampire, Elena who is supposed to have all this compassion, Elena who... Unlike is the case sometimes with Stefan, who Stefan likes Elena, he becomes besties with Caroline. Kind of everyone else he only cares about because they're important to Elena <laughs> and the group. I think Stefan and Barney, I said this last time where there's a Stefan and Barney connection that gets lost the moment Damon and Barney like... It fades away after a while and it's like I can see Stefan cares about Jeremy he doesn't want Matt and Tyler to come to harm but I don't right. think Stefan once you get to those guys it's like eh yeah. but I think Caroline and Barney yes I don't think Stefan ever comes to love anyone outside of Elena's existence the way he does Caroline when they're friends and then eventually becomes romantic whereas Damon I'm like Damon doesn't give a f about most of y'all <laughs> <laughs> So it's to weird finish. to me that someone like Elena, who supposedly cares so much about each and every one of you, can then gel with Damon and forgive Damon. Damon as a lover and the person to whom he is a lover, just I find that nonsensical and inexcusable and I can't reconcile with it the way that I can with Damon as a sibling to Stefan. I always am like, if we're to deal with it in the text, because we make all these assertions, right? And then the counter could just be, well, that's what, that's just who they are. That's their relationship. And then it's like, well, that puts into question Elena's character then. And again, I just don't want to walk down that road because it becomes a question of what kind of person are you? <laughs> this is the person you accept into your life. Elena is compassionate. Stefan says things like, Elena feels more than any of us. You know, she, her humanity is her greatest strength. Elijah compliments her and commends her on, on how she is everything that he values in humanity. But then she turns around and is fine with how Damon just doesn't give a shit about people. And it's like, uh, see, that's, that's why I, I don't like Damon the boyfriend. I can handle Damon the brother. <laughs> and Damon the token bad team member, I can appreciate. There's a scene in which Colin, the vampire who Stefan and Caroline use as a guinea pig to see if vampire blood can heal cancer. Oh boy. He's now a vampire who can't die properly or can't die from conventional methods and is stricken with this magical stage 10 cancer. And Stefan and Caroline are guilty and terrified by what's happened. And I don't think that even though he was begging 
looking for death, I don't know if they would have euthanized him because each of them is very much like, a, oh, I don't want to just hurt people. I'll try to find another way. I And Damon comes into the room and yanks out his heart. I think Stefan in season six would have done it. I think Stefan in season six would have done it. I think Caroline couldn't have, yes. Well, Damon, Damon comes in the room and yanks out his heart like without a moment's hesitation. And I'm like, you know what? I'm fine with Damon being the guy who needs to do those things. If you keep that separate from the guy who's meant to be with Elena and separate from the person who's meant to be this deep down he really truly cares i'm like damon being the guy who's like i i I don't give a shit i'll do the i'll do the dirty work i'll get my hands messy because the rest of you don't want to like that is the character that i just wish the show would have leaned into and maybe they just couldn't because you can't have that and then also have him be with elena but boy do they try (laughs) it's still the cw yeah this is the thing too is that like this is a show for as much as judy pleck was like show running right but also i think kevin williamson was involved in the production he's this he's done a lot he's he did scream i think um if i'm not mistaken and so it's like i can see a situation where there was a more i I don't know mature more morally gray version of this story that then sold to cw who have certain parameters as to what a cw show is you know, branding wise. So yeah, there's also there's all you were talking about Damon the partner versus Damon the brother versus Damon the teammate. I think even Damon the brother, and maybe this is just my own hangups because I don't have a particularly good relationship with my brother. But I always feel like, on the whole, Damon does not deserve Stefan. He simply doesn't. And I you you describe Stefan always being in Damon's corner, always forgiving Damon because he sees the humanity and he sees they've been through a lot, whatever. I think also a bit of it is that Stefan, I think their dynamic was set in stone the moment Damon left for war and the moment Catherine came into the picture. I think Stefan has a level of codependency and I think, because there's a lot Stefan can take in terms of empathy, but I think that... Damon is a special outlier in terms of the things that he's done. And Stefan is a lot more willing to excuse it of Damon because in his mind, that's his one connection. He doesn't have anyone else. Like he has the Mystic Falls gang now, right? But a lot of them are going to be dead in like 60 years. It's like pre-Caroline, like... And their friendship becoming more solid and then turning into something more. And even after that too, right? Because it's like, Damon still remains the sticking point even in their relationship. I think that that level of codependency and that element of vampirism where it's like, we're going to live forever and everyone around us will die. I think he's holding so fast on to that connection to Damon. And Damon is so goddamn lucky that Stefan is doing that. I don't think, I, Damon obviously loves his brother for sure, but his actions and his just everything that they've been through, I just, it's that, that relationship feels so skewed in my opinion that like Damon does not deserve how much forgiveness and how much patience that Stefan has. I guess that's why when we get the, several times, the parallel between Damon and Stefan and Klaus and Elijah. Elijah and Klaus, um, yeah. We get this thing of like blood is thicker than water and it's punny because they're vampires, hey. but they are always going to hold their family above all else. Like Klaus 
is horrible to his siblings. <laughs> and you can definitely see which ones are his favorites. It really is just Elijah is his bro for life. Him and Bex have fun, but if she gets annoying, he can just dagger her and put her away in a box. And that's it. <laughs> and yet throughout everything, Elijah and Rebecca, even throughout the times where each of them has been like, you know what, Klaus needs to die. Mm -hmm. Once that doesn't happen, they get to a point where they're like, you know what, I'm actually glad you're alive. <laughs> if anyone else tries to hurt you, I'll take them down. I'll kill them. Because you're my I'll brother and I love you. I'll burn their homes to the ground. And I guess, you know, there's a, a sweetness to that. That, like, the lasting sibling bond. I, I like that in a way. I guess for vampires, it seems in this show, with family members specifically, they truly take the term unconditional love to the literal extreme. It's like, there is nothing you could do to make me finally be like, you know what, screw this, I'm done with your ass. No matter what, they'll always come back. Stefan watches Damon murder Lexi, and the next day he's like, oh, well, the I'm annoyed at you, day. but it is what it is. I'm going to let you live because you saved my life yesterday. And a year later, he's fine. He loves Damon again. They try to make a parallel with that when Stefan, quote, kills Enzo the first time, when it's actually Enzo who orchestrated <laughs> his own death to like cause problems between them but i do believe that stefan would have killed him at the end of the day because enzo was causing so much trouble and it's this big thing of like oh his one tie to humanity it's like freaking i don't his one don't tie to humanity. he's like where is rick isn't that his drinking buddy <laughs> that's what i'm saying it's like we every single time damon deems to make a friend we pretend that that's damon's one friend and it's like, can we just cobble together a little support system so that people don't die when Damon's upset? Maybe you guys need to look into that if you're so invested in keeping him around. I don't know. Also, it's super cute that the show would ever believe that I could care about Enzo St. John anyway, <laughs> as much as I care about Lexi Branson. Why should I give a shit about Enzo? <laughs> Oh, an Enzo episode would be fun because it would just be us constantly going, and who cares? It's <laughs> just like, and Enzo's looking for his Dr. Crush. All right, what does that have to do with me? <laughs> Hello, Enzo. But yeah, I, I guess, yeah. Yeah, that's my thoughts at the end of the day on Damon. A character who I very sporadically will enjoy, but on the most part, do not. And I think textually, it's just so awful that it doesn't make sense. And I am okay with being separate from the pack on that matter when it comes to the show's audience. Do you think that if ultimately Elena had ended up with Stefan, that you would be more comfortable with the idea that she tried to date Damon, then realized this is not the person for me, who you are does not gel well with who I am, I'm going to move on. Do you think that would have made the idea of Damon more palatable? In this hypothetical is he still holding a torch for Elena? Or is he, like, moving on and learning to Like live? in the books, he's moving on and letting go. I... It depends, right? Because I don't think that... I don't think it's all rooted in Delena, right? I don't. I think that even if... Because the alternative... Because he has to be with someone. We can't have a CW heartthrob and not have them in a relationship. So that means they either... Oh, God, I shudder to think that <laughs> pushed him on either Caroline or Bonnie. And neither Never of those Caroline. sit well with me either. 
Neither of those sit well with me. I think there would have to be so much rehab, especially if he's to be with either of those two characters. I don't think that there is no way, double negative, but it works, but I think a lot of work would have to be done for me to be sold on a world where Damon is dating either of those two. Okay. I wasn't I wasn't thinking about where he would end up romance-wise. I was thinking... For sure, but I'm saying that's inevitable on a show like this. I think outside of romance stuff. Yeah, I think similarly, it would be like if there's a growth trajectory where it's like... We were talking about the Kilgrave point last session, where it's like there's some sense of turnaround in the way he acts... And he becomes more of a character that's like, he's still Damon, but like, he actually cares about the people at the very least in the MFG. Like, he doesn't leap to the sacrifice of people. Because I get, maybe it is rooted a little bit in the Delano of it, right? Because if he's not so invested in like, destroying everything to keep Elena alive then maybe we can start to be like, okay, let's explore a person who doesn't just sacrifice everyone in his immediate vicinity. Because why would he be sacrificing them? Yeah. You know? I don't know. For Stefan, I guess? I think I'd be I'd be a lot more comfortable with the idea of Damon, the bad boy who is Stefan's brother, and that's the reason he's around. Then at least... I could understand him making everyone else a sacrificial lamb. Because it's like, I don't care about these teenagers. I'm here for my little brother who I love and who I will stick around for and tolerate all of you for because he's dating your friend. But outside of that, you don't matter. I'll fight the villains that come to threaten you only because they threaten him. And then I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's fine. You're, you're not, the, the show isn't lying about who you are. It's not trying to make it seem like you are here because you're a good person. I'm trying to think of comparatives to try and understand who's the closest analog and see how I feel about that person. But the thing is, the closest person I can think of is Spike from Buffy. (laughs) And I can't stand him either. See, I can't get into, and it would have been lovely if you had finished Buffy at this point, because there are a lot of analogs between Angel and Stefan and Spike and Damon. I can't get into it because you're not done. I'm sorry. I I should be by now, but yeah. What I will say without going into any detail beyond this statement is I feel that the way Spike is handled in Buffy is much more honest to the kind of character he is than how Damon is handled in TVD. I would agree. And this is Buffy as in someone who's watched from season one to season seven and seen the whole thing. As someone who's watched almost to the end of season five, I would mostly agree. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. It's tough to answer a question that has like so many moving parts. Yeah. Of like, would I have been happy with Damon had the Delena route not been endgame? I don't know. I, I can't deny that it's interlinked regardless of the fact that like i'm not super interested in the shipping dichotomy but it's the fact that that relationship has such an immense tie to all the stuff i don't like about damon ultimately the story is damon exists much like stefan for elena it's a story about a girl getting this window into the world of supernatural and the one brother who is her hero her savior is fighting against the darkness that comes with vampirism so that he can be a good person not just for her but for himself and then the other brother who is you know the allure he revels in the darkness he likes it unapologetically but he is willing to dial it back for her sake 
And then everything that leads from there is like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I like how you did it. <laughs> I don't, is, that, is that the end of the road? It feels crazy to even say because I... <laughs> been three sessions in the making do you have any closing thoughts i don't know we we leave it there with ellipsis dots <laughs> yeah yeah we leave it with an ellipsis i think the prosecution has made its arguments the defense while severely overwhelmed has tried its best the judge has deliberated and reviewed the evidence the bailiff has tried his best to keep order i think now it rests with you the jury to deliver the verdict. I think personally for this episode more than any other, I would be curious to hear anyone's thoughts just on the character in general, but also on everything we've discussed today. We'd be happy to hear that from you via our email. That's animalattackpod at gmail.com. You can also contact us on Twitter at animattackpod. That's A-N-I-M attack. Pod, you'll find our link tree in the bio, which has all of our online stuff. Yeah, I guess it's goodbye, brother. <laughs> Keeping it in theme. <laughs> I don't know if that works. <laughs> goodbye, just like, let's sign it off. I'm gonna find that edit <laughs> that's with the Megan Trainer playing in the background, and it's it's <laughs> with David the Stefan in peace, <laughs> and the door closes on him. <laughs> Uh, I think that would be hilarious. But yeah, this has been, you know, mostly fun, kind of frustrating, probably took three years of my life, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. I tried my best to find <laughs> Damon's moments where I could, to appreciate the parts of him that I could, which is why I kept bringing up Delena, because outside of that, there are moments I can find where I appreciate what they were trying to do with the character. Unfortunately, when you combine everything together, you get a, a dish that doesn't taste that good. <laughs> yeah, special thanks to Fadzai for being a good sport and trying his best to filter and sift for some good nuggets because I knew from the get-go, probably not something we're going to do. And we're both not huge fans of the character, so I really appreciate you doing the work. And I'm sure the Delena fans appreciate you as well. So <laughs> I appreciate you resisting what I know would have been your natural inclination to just hate on Damon for several hours. <laughs> I feel like you tried to be fair. You were open to <laughs> correction and different interpretations. And I appreciate that. Thank you. The restraint I've shown today is something Damon has never known in his life. <laughs> and on that... Brilliant. We will see you. Actually, we will not see you for a bit because this is our mid-season finale. So we're going to disappear for maybe a month, maybe like six weeks. But no worries. You'll see the usual clips going on our Twitter account and our TikTok. Yeah, I don't know. Feel free to share this around. Hopefully when we come back, there's more of you because I know Damon's going to draw in. <sighs> Some people. So, you know, if you're still here, stick with us. It's fun on the way out. We've got a lot more coming your way in the new year. So happy holidays. Stay safe. And we'll see you in 2024. Yes. <laughs> I almost said five. I freaked out for a oh, second. Okay. I, thought, I thought you were struggling to remember how high the number had gotten. Because like, yeah, we, <laughs> we're in the 2020s. Yeah. Well, it's been grand. See you in the next one. Cheers. Bye.